double clicking on pickup. What? Single click. So if if I was the person in your avatar, I would write a song about how I have to click on the pickup button twice now. Oh, you had to. You do do that. Yeah. Every uh, since I first complained about it on this very podcast, every time I've done an additional podcast, I've had to click on the pickup button twice. Is there a chance you're clicking it wrong? Maybe I need to click harder. Mm. Hmm. Tap target. Hmm. Hmm. A difficult show to start. Clicking. Clicking. Mm-hmm. I thought mm-hmm. I had lots of follow-up for this week, but I'm not sure I do. I guess I don't. Seems like we just recorded. I know we're just one day earlier than normal, but it seems like, seems like I know. we were just here. Time uh, flies. I know. But I know. I enjoy, I enjoy this time with you. Mm-hmm. You do. You sharpen me, you know? I try. You do, I think you sharpen me. I'm always I'm always complimenting you. You might be too sharp. That's the problem. Maybe <laughs> I should be dulling you down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to really think about that. You know what it is? You know what it is? I think I'm sharp in the wrong parts. I think maybe maybe my, my handle's a little too sharp and my blade's yeah. a little too dull. I like that uh, that teapot on the cover of that Don Norman book with the handle facing the wrong way. Ow, ow. Yeah. I got I got favorited by a uh, computer guy today. Computer guy, who mm-hmm. might that be? Oh, what's his name? He's the um, Visual Basic guy. Visual Basic. Mm-hmm. I don't know my, who the Visual Basic guy is. He's on one of my toots, and he favorited it. You don't I, mean I, the very funny. guy. I was do coming you? in hot on political material today. It was pretty good. You don't mean uh, the Visical guy, do you? Oh, I wish I did. I'll find out. I'm clicking. Visual basic guy. I need to update everything. Joel Spolsky? Oh, I like him. Yeah, but no. well, who no, are you talking I'll find about? It. Let's see here. How do I find that? How do I find what people have liked? You go to... The problem is I'm a, I'm a muter. I'm a muter, Jerry. Mm-hmm. I'm mute. I'm mute, too. I, I start, I'm starting to worry about uh, my Twitter client's capacity to hold mutes. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that's all client... Is, Mutes are all client side, right? Mutes are muffles. Mutes. Like full on mutes. Yep. Mutes are Twitter platform level. Mm. Well, but they do not apply to lists, I can assure you. I don't use lists. Ah, <sighs> shouldn't use lists. It's not it's not making me better. No, there's too many things to check. Too many well, there's too many things for me for being a Twitter completionist. I can't have listed. I got one thing to check. Yeah. That thing is Twitter. Yeah. Uh, I've wondered that too. I got a lot of mutes. I got a lot of mutes. I have this new thing I do where I'm looking at political Twitter and I see somebody who's kind of a kind of a butt. Mm-hmm. Even if I don't know who they are, I'll, I'll block them. I'll just block them. Oh yeah, no, I preemptively block all the time. Do you? Oh good. Yeah. See, I th- that seems like something you would criticize me for doing. No way. No, that's the like. So if if somehow into my timeline from someone's retweet of a Magamom yeah, ret- twenty sixteen. Yeah, just like a retweet of a reply to a thread and somewhere down at the bottom is some terrible troglodyte block, preemptive block. Like, why, you know, why not? Because the, the chances are, if that person showed up in my in my timeline for some reason, I think the chances are higher that they, they might show up on my timeline again and might actually see something that I write and I don't want to hear from those terrible people. So it's like preemptive block, so easy. Because, you know, and then you go, you go to, I go to do it and like if they follow me, maybe I might have a moment. 
Oh, well, I'm, talk- person, I'm talking about right? when you go in and you see like, oh, these are crisis actors and all these kids yeah, are getting yeah, their yeah. lines no, from CNN. Block. Instant block. Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. I find it a little bit, I don't know if it's really therapeutic, but it feels therapeutic. No, I mean, it is because I, I feel like it's, you know, you, it, now maybe the odds are low that that person will ever encounter oh, no. you they'll, again. They'll, like never, big, they'll never notice. Big, big Twitter theory. No, I mean, like blocking isn't, I'm not doing it as a vindictive thing. I'm doing it because I never want to see anything having to do with them again. I, I don't want, you know, I just want, and I want them not to see anything. I just want to be separate from mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know. What was this, episode 73? I feel like I do it for, um, you know, the same way that, like, you hit the elevator button, even though you're not sure it's going to do anything. You hit the see last often button, even though it doesn't really do anything. I, I feel like maybe at some point, Twitter will gather a lot of data. And look for patterns. <laughs> That's some wishful thinking. Don't you yeah. think? Doesn't that seem, seem like mm-hmm. something they could do? Yeah, they'll gather a lot of data and do the opposite of what you want them to do with it. <sighs> yeah. Um, that was kind of a funny thing, the Twitter lockdown thing. Did you follow that at all? Mm, maybe. What are you talking about? Uh, I didn't read any source material on this, but the story goes that Twitter identified a lot of bot accounts oh uh, yeah the russian bot purge yeah 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 and people were real steamed that they lost followers <laughs> yeah I, I i judge the the quality of my follow list by the fact that i did not see a single person steamed about this at all so i'm like good job i only I only heard about other people john what is the uh difference uh for our listeners i know this but there are going to be people out there that might not know this what is the exact distinction between muting on twitter and muffling on twitterific well, I've been the playing with the Twitterific that, again. That muffling is the thing that has uh, the fewest number of button presses to get to it, whereas I always want to mute, so as far as I've been able to tell, I have to muffle first and then mute. That's hmm. my uh, functional definition of, of how, it, how it impacts the difference in my life. I never want to muffle. I always want to mute, and yet, as far as I can tell, I must first muffle, then go to my list of muscle muffles, and then mute. Please tell me hmm. I'm wrong. Muffling and muting tweets in Twitterific. Muffles are a powerful way. I'm at the uh, at the internet site for Icon Factory. Mm-hmm. Muffles are a powerful way to hide certain users' links, hashtags, or keywords from your timeline. The best way to think of them are like lighter versions of muting. Muffling does not remove filtered tweets from your timeline no, entirely, but instead minimizes them. So what, like you see a little line? Mm-hmm. That would be even worse for me. Yeah, I don't know why it's the default. I And so... I mean, maybe I've just never gotten to the point that you've gotten to, which is let me go look at the actual documentation. I just assumed that it's always has to be because you have to muffle first. There is no way to mute immediately. You must muffle. And then you go to your list of muffles. And from the list of muffles, you can turn a muffle into a mute. (laughs) The only time I I used muffles and found it useful was when I I think it was during during The Force Awakens where I had this huge list of filters. And some of them I left as only muffles because they were so broad. That I would, you know, I say, oh, this has got caught in my in my Force Awakens net, but it's probably not about Star Wars, and so I would expand it and read it, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I would just, I forget what I was doing, but you capture something that, that has like uh, this is not what it was, but like has the word sand in it, and like if I could see who this tweet is from that has the word sand, I'm like, oh, that's not actually about Star Wars, so let me just expand it and read it. But right. for uh, the Last Jedi, I didn't even bother with that. I'm just like, nope, just mute, out of sight, out of mind. Tweetbot has a neat thing where when you hit mute, I think this must be this must be on top of the Twitter layer because you get the option. Well, I should go look at it, but you get an option. Do you want to, how long do you want to uh, mute this for? Mute oh, for yeah, yeah. like a day, a week, a month, mm-hmm. which is really handy for like you know your South by Southwest and whatnot. 
Yeah, I, I, I just, I always, I, I understand the utility of that feature, but I feel like mute is a one way. It's like a bozo bit thing. It's a one way street with me. Like, if, if I find myself wanting to tweet to mute you for like an hour, it's like, look, do you want to follow this person or not? Because if you want to follow them, they're gonna tweet a lot about this baseball game. If you don't want to see that, just unfollow them. And I, I'm willing to tolerate a lot from right. the people I follow because I understand if if it's some important event that I don't care about, just you know skim right through those tweets like they'll that that too will pass Mm -hmm. right i'm gonna add uh a new topic to the list which is twitter we should talk about twitter sometime (laughs) like we haven't talked about a hundred times before yeah hundreds a big number we've talked Mm -hmm. about um i think we talked about twitter we've talked about twitter or stuff we wish they could do better Mm -hmm. how we use twitter that might be fun to come back to we got a lot of good topics we have weird many topics, many, many topics, and mm-hmm. we've got some really good topics. I don't know if you have looked at this list. I I was looking through the many topics earlier. I wanted to actually do one of them, and I think you'll be surprised by which one it is. I was surprised when I read through the list. Is it an old one? Yeah. Look is it, at is the it many Coco? Topics. Is this Coco? No. Look okay. at the many topics. Which one do you think I want to do? Sleep hat and weighted blanket. No. Good oh. guess, though. New okay. Google Calendar UI. <sighs> Yeah, I do. I, I want to do that now that I'm I'm back on the new train now. Hmm. Well, the thing was, Google does this thing um, when they deign to update uh, functionality. Well, you know, that's not fair. Go- I, I imagine Google does a lot of stuff under the hood. I mean, G- Gmail is just so rock solid for me, but they'll do a thing sometimes, like a lot of these, not a lot, but some services, they'll do a thing where they say, hey, there's a new version of the app coming. Do you want a preview? Click here to go check it out. And they did that for the calendar. And at that, a few weeks ago, when we very first talked about this, they had the option to go back to the classic uh, UI. And I say UI, but really a lot of it, there's pretty different, significant functionality. Um, but now that has been removed, and now you are stuck with the new look. John Syracuse, as you sit here today, how do you feel about the new Google Calendar UI? Well, when I originally got that same prompt and it said, do you want to try the new UI? I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll try. Yeah, sure. I'll try new things. So I tried it, and I immediately found, like, the one feature I use in Google Calendar all the time was missing. And I was upset about that. And that feature is click on a square on the the month view of calendar, click on, like, a square that has the date in it, and a text field pops up. And you type 1 p.m. space haircut and hit return. And it makes an appointment called haircut for 1 p.m. on the day that you clicked on. And removes removes 1 p.m. from the title. Yes. Uh, and that is like, that's my main interaction with Google Calendar in a web browser has been since the advent of this product. And the new version, the new UI, as you called it, as they call it, didn't have that feature. I'm like, this isn't just a new UI. This is the removal of my primary feature. So I went back to the old version. And when you go back, it says, hey, why are you going back? And I said, I'm going back because I can't type 1 p.m. haircut. All right. And then a couple weeks passed and they sent me an email and said, good news. Uh, you can type 1 p.m. haircut again. And so okay. I went forward to the new UI and that feature works, which is good. Like, hey, the feedback process worked and I got my feature back. But the reason I wanted to talk about this is uh, I was Wait, hang, hang, back on to your... hang on a second. So I'm in, I'm in a month view. And let's make sure we share some good tips. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever you're in Google Calendar, like so many of the Google apps in the web version, 
there are meta key list things you can hit that do stuff. I've talked about this a lot with Gmail, but one good one to know is you can hit one to see today, or I'm oh, sorry, one takes you to day view, T takes you to today, two takes you to week view, three takes you to month view. This is a very baller way to get around. I'm currently in three. I am in month view. I click on a date and it takes me to the month. I'm not getting... No, in a- month view where it shows the entire month. Okay. You cl- oh, I see you click on a day like a... Oh, I see what click you're saying. Click on the side of square on the calendar. Haircut, 1 p.m. 1 p.m. haircut, by the way. It probably works the reverse way, too, but I always do it that way. Yeah, worked. Oh, Sorry. and I put in a graphic. It's got scissors and a blow dryer. <laughs> That's fun. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but getting back to your original question, how do I feel about today? And as I saw it there in the mini topic list, I thought, you know, I sh- shouldn't I be happy that uh, there was something wrong and I complained that it got fixed? Uh, but then I realized uh, that's good, but I don't really like the new UI better than the old one in a couple of important ways. And <sighs> not just a couple of important ways, a couple of important ways that uh, that are similar to the ways that I was not happy with the new Gmail UI. Do you remember when that happened a couple of years ago? Mm, I don't know if I do. Gmail went through a similar transformation where they went from an old one to a new one. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you were to look at old and new Gmail next to old and new calendar, you would see that like, oh, these were the same kind of transition. And the thing that I think joins them together and that sort of crystallizes my dissatisfaction and a lot of people's, I think, is any UI change to a thing that you use regularly uh, where the new UI can't fit all the same information in the space that the old UI could. Mm-hmm. So I'm a stickler for my windows, as most people know, and my browser windows have a certain size and shape. And the old UI could fit a certain amount of stuff in that view. In the month view with a sidebar, uh, with the list of calendars and the data review and just like, whatever. Like, you know, it's, it's adjustable. It's a web, it's like you know, a web page. It's responsive. You, you resize or whatever. But there's a certain amount of stuff that could fit in. And the new UI changes just a few things. Part of it is information density of the of like the main squares in the month view, but part of it is the minimum size of the sidebar. And I feel like there is not any kind of UI change, especially to a web app, that decreases information density that is going to make someone who uses the app every day happy about it. And that I think that spans all levels of information density. Even if you have the font cranked up to a huge size, so you have like very little on a thing, if the upgrade lets you see even less in the same amount of space, it doesn't feel good. And I'm not saying the information density should increase over time. I'm just saying that like it should break even net-net from the old to the new. Maybe you shift around the focus, and even then, like, you know, we give more space for this and less space for that. But in general, if what used to fit can't fit anymore or fits but things are truncated to the point of usefulness that's bad and it seems like every google user interface upgrade to their web properties has decreased information density to the point where the gmail upgrade had like six options to you to crank information density back up it's like they know that the main problem is that you know well maybe people don't care and it gives everything more breathing room and it's less cramped but let's provide a bunch of options to crank down the information density but even the the most dense option didn't match the old default and only option. And I think that is 
the main thing I dislike about both the Google Calendar upgrade, uh, UI upgrade, and the Gmail upgrade. And that's before we get into any actual substantial issues about like, well, how does the functionality change? Just purely right, on display right, right. purposes. Yeah, I think um, it feels like um, the goal or the mandate or something was to make this look clean and open it up. Like I'm trying to think of this kind of stuff that somebody writes on a whiteboard because it's definitely true. There's it's, it is more airy, especially the, I live in the week view normally. And like, boy, I, I really, I, I, you look at this and you're like, Oh, this looks like a calendar you would buy at the calendar store at the mall. Like your big family calendar that everybody can write on in big letters. Um, so, I mean, I don't love the way it looks at all. My biggest beef, I think, and this is, I have to admit, this is a very, very old man in at least two ways, probably. This is an old man problem is that the business that I want to get done. So I like your trick about going in and doing the quick, fantastic how style entry. That's super handy. I'm using a to do app that does that really well right now called tick tick. But, um, but the thing that drives me crazy is you go to create a new item and you click in like where you want it to be. And then you get this little thing that pops up. And the reason I say it's an old man problem too is just, first of all, it, it is different. And it sucks to have to, you know, acquaint yourself to a new thing. You know, if that ends up being more useful, that's really good. They took tons of stuff out of the sort of wonky looking create new event. What did you call it? Like, not, let's, let's just say create new event page. I'm trying to remember what all was there. But a lot of it was stuff that not everybody used, but I did use. So it was real fast, easy entry to tab through stuff, get to where you want to go, attach a document, add a location, all that kind of stuff. I I mean, I have not spent a ton of time with this because I just don't enjoy using it. But like the other reason I – oh, God, and of course on Chrome, I just lose interstitials all the time probably because I'm running blockers. But, um, but you know what it is? The reason I say it's an old man problem also is like you think about the old days, like back when I would have to do stuff in, in FileMaker and spend like a lot of my day in FileMaker, I had a real good idea. If I had to do something repetitive, I would, I would know how to go tick, 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 do the thing, tick, 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 do another thing, tick, 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 right? And you knew that it would select the contents, you know, not the most elegant thing in the world, but when you're in the younger days of the computer, like that's a lot of what you would have to do is get fast at knowing how to get through the thing that you were doing. And in FileMaker, it was, you know, kind of naturally sort of good for that in the sense that you could see that was a field. You knew if you did these three clicks, you'd end up in this field. It would be selected. You do this thing, et cetera, et cetera. Not the most efficient thing in the world, but I, that's kind of the sensibility that I brought along with me. And I, I got pretty good at like tabbing through the fields in Google Calendar and like knowing, and there were clear fields. You could see that this was a field. This does that thing, sort of like when iOS took away like the clear buttons. God, these interstitial, these, what do you call that? When you get like the little JavaScript pop-up sub window, what, what do you call that? Uh, the, the pop-up windows? Yeah, yeah, but it's like a little software, you know, window. Like it's, it's, not, it's not a window. It's just it's just a uh, another box on the screen in the web yeah. page. But like, you know, it's like, I, I'm clicking, oh God, this is such a disaster. It just, it doesn't have a, it doesn't feel like there's any there there. I, I don't like apps that don't feel substantial. And one thing I've always thought about almost all the Google apps is for a web app, they feel very substantial. Apps like Flickr, apps like Vimeo, a lot of the Google apps, I really like how they felt like you were using a, an app, admittedly a web application, but it really felt pretty solid as an application. And when you get into this thing of like hiding all the fields behind more options, 
right? I mean, you you have to do a lot more clicking. You've got to do a lot more thinking. You've got to do a lot more like staring at the screen. And like on the one hand, I admit that that comes from an old use of Macs. But on the other hand, like it's just, I don't know, just gets in the way of like how I want to use it. It's It's not fun to use and it feels a little bit like, you know, cranking my own corn or something. That's uh, the whatever material design language that they want to have across all platforms. Right, uh, right. Whereas what you're probably looking for is the Mac UI that you, you know, if you see a Mac looking UI, you have a, some expectation of how it's going to work, especially as it relates to what options you may have selected in your OS, whether you on your Mac have said that you want tabbing to go to every control versus just text fields, for example. Yep, which I do. Uh, so if you see a Mac app, you know it will honor whatever setting you've chosen to put in there uh the material design apps that tries to be consistent across platforms and is very different from the mac one uh but uh, as a mac user you might not know what to expect and even if you do know like try this you're in weak view go to click on a square and then go to more options because as you noted you can't get to a bunch of things it just gives you the the little pop go to more options right Mm -hmm. and now so now the the big screen comes up right it says add title you got your your insertion point blinking to the left of the a and add title right so that's where your input focus is if you couldn't tell they're using a blue underline to indicate that Mm -hmm. regardless of what you have your highlight or focus ring stuff set to in the os now hit the tab key once where is your focus now assume it's on save although there's no i don't see any Mm -hmm. well Mm -hmm. there's a blink there's a subtle blink you see a blink i see no change to the save button well the blue the blue underline goes away so they're yeah, assuming so does, the main it, thing you're going to want to do is hit title and then save. So you think the highlight is on save? Because I see no indication that save is selected. Well, when I tab from title to save, let me type, type something here. It changes. There's a subtle burst of boldness in the word save it, and a little takes, bit of, so little it bit it of color change. It takes away. What it does is... Like desaturates and bold save. I don't, I'm not sure if it does. Click back on title and see what happens to the save button. Click back on title and watch the save button gets dim and then bold again. Yeah. But now you know your insertion point is in the title field and save looks the same as it did when the insertion point was not in the title field. Yeah, like the, compare this with Plex. Like you ever go into Plex and uh, you want to update libraries, uh, clean bundles, empty trash. You ever do that? You I don't. I'm talking about. I don't do that. Okay. Well, but, but on Plex, if you get a... I guess you call it a dialog box. It pops up. It'll have the two buttons. And the one that is the, do, as with the Mac, right? Back in the old days, you get the big, bold black line around mm-hmm. OK, right? Yep. And in this case, in Plex, when you're doing that, you get the pop-up. Um, it's all, you see on the, I think it's an orange button. I want to say an orange button with like a yellow line that clearly delineates that, hey, guess what? You can actually hit your space bar and that will totally select it. It's very clear. You can make this a lot clearer than this is, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I don't think there's That's any actual people, visual people indication know, of, of a focus save button. Do people know that you can hit spacebar to do what you're on? Do people know that? That's a good one. Yeah, anyway, the, this UI, the material UI is not only different from the Mac, but I think it is worse in some measurable ways about figuring out where the input focus is. Uh, that said, there are some nice features, even in uh, this week view that I never use. Like if you click on a little section to do, to add an event if you you can still grab the event like it doesn't get locked into place like it does on some desktop calendar apps right so say mm-hmm. you, you misclick slightly you can drag that thing in like 15 minute increments up and down the thing and also the, the little window follows it as you drag it that's nice the tab index is super interesting so go create a new item and type into the add title area uh, now you want to get to location count the clicks to get to add location 
Oh, I went to guess first. That's terrible. Bad tab <laughs> index. I counted, I counted 19 clicks. Because, like, you think it would go top to bottom, left to right in, in our region, but it doesn't. It goes top to bottom until it gets to the end of that top section, and then it goes <laughs> right, and then down, so, and then left. Save, date, start, time, start, end, time zone, all day, does not repeat, guests, add guests, modify event, invite others, see guest list, event details tab, add location. Yeah, this UI just says give up and use the mouse. That's what this UI says. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I... um. You know, uh, part of trying to not get old is to go, like, maybe this is not for me. Like, maybe they they probably tested the bejesus out of this, and maybe it really works for somebody. But I think uh, I was just thinking the other day, somebody was talking about Google and talking about old Google and, like, in the, you know, say, early 2000s. And you remember people like PB, you know, and Matt Matt Howard putting out those hacks books, those O'Reilly hacks books. And, like, you remember how cool, like, the Google hacks book was? Like, all the stuff that you could do with Google, all the stuff you could do, all those different services. And do you remember labs? Like, all the amazing stuff mm-hmm. in labs. And I, you know, I, I, again, I realize it's not like an old man, but that was such an exciting time because it was a solid service and it did work really well. And it was, it even had a certain amount of cachet to, like, be able to even have a Gmail account. But, like, but at the heart of it all was that it did feel like it was made by intense nerds for intense nerds. I mean, I feel like, you know, when I visited at Google to do that uh, talk I did, I, they, a lot of them said, like, the reason we made Gmail is because we get hundreds of emails a day and we need to be able to fly through this stuff really fast. So, you know, is it good? Is it bad? Is it whatever? Well, it's definitely not tuned for somebody who really wants to get in and get out fast with muscle memory. I've, I, maybe I'll eventually get used to it, but no. And, you know, in calendar to, to its own detriment, like the way calendar now has like all the stuff you want, you need to click on this area. Do you use calendar ever on Mac? Oh, you mean the actual calendar app? No, I do not. Well, now in calendar, they're being cute and clever too. So the entire rat king of stuff like, let me go look at calendar so I get this right. Um, when you go in and you click everything like the start and end times, repeat, alerts, uh, show as, travel time, all of that. You've got to click in this area to like expose all the stuff that's in there. I mean, I guess if you tab in and hit return, yeah, that'll let you go in. But you know, I mean, maybe that's, they're optimizing this for people who just don't need or want all of that stuff most of the time. But I am very interested, back to Don Norman and maybe Merlin Mann, I'm very interested in the habits that things like software, I'm culture, whatever it is, I'm interested in the habits that things encourage. And I, I wonder if this encourages good habits. I wonder if the idea of clicking title and then tabbing to save, while on the one hand being a very fast way to create a title with no details, you know, how many clicks would it be to get down to the notes where you would write up an agenda for this? I mean, that's an old man nerd thing, but like, I don't know. I'm just not sure that this encourages particularly bright patterns of people. Yeah, I mean, in many ways, it's optimizing for the common case, which is not to even know most of these features exist, which I understand. But it's not; it's failing the test of uh, also adapting itself uh, to whatever the person does. If if every single time you click to make a new event, you hit more options, good software would be like, okay, next time you click to make an event, just go right to the more options screen or have a larger version of that. Or like in Calendar, you're just saying like those little things that the little sections that sort of expand out. If you expand out a section to make an event, maybe the next time you make an event, have that that section already expanded out. Or maybe the 800th time you click to make a new event and expand the whatever section, realize, oh, I guess pretty much every time they make an event, they'll make that expanded. Like some sort of recognition that the program just doesn't forget that you exist 
and just go back to, I assume you're a new user who's never used calendar before. Mm-hmm. Here's the event creation thing. You probably don't care about these details. Like no, no record. This was something that they talked about in the eighties, software that would learn from the users. And I don't know where that dream went, but it's not here yet. And it should be because I want software that doesn't make me do the same stupid thing over and over again. Uh, it should learn when I use the features that you've offered, I always tend to want this feature, that feature, and that feature. So don't automatically collapse everything right. and make me manually expand it every time. Also stuff like, I mean, I guess an obvious one is that an iOS is kind of okay at this, but an app that understands, I, I struggle with this in my uh, location tracking app that I use for like, where did I go today? That app is that, you know, house always means this location. Office always means, you know, this location. Uh, but like, you know, now I realize this is kind of an unfair test, but I just, this would not be such an unfair test for Fantastical, but I just clicked wherever, right, to create an event. And I type in thing Tuesday, 8.35 a.m. at house and save it. And all of the stuff that was in that field remains in that field and it stays wherever I put it, which I guess on the one hand is that's maybe what people would expect it to do. But like, you know, I think Fantastical was actually pretty good at that. Like I say, this app TickTick is pretty good at that. If you say today, it understands to schedule it for today. So, so I don't know. But, you know, software that learns from you. Do you remember that in the 80s? All the sort of breathless articles about how the future of software is going to be, you know, intelligent agents that, uh, that learn based on user behavior and that modify the application. You know, like the application itself changes based on how you use it. I better remember the run-up to what I will roughly call the portal period. <laughs> the, you know, like when stuff like, I don't know if you remember, you remember like Excite? Excite had a really nice mm-hmm. my, Excite.com that was very customizable yep. and super cool. Yahoo had a pretty good one. There were a lot of those, you know, really, if you consider, like this is what, 98, 99, a lot of that stuff was actually really quite good. And then I remember there was just one of the big, in the, I guess in the mid to late .com period, the big boom was in personalization and customization. I don't remember the phenomenon that you're talking about. I don't Yeah, the think. personalization thing was like you were building your own application to suit your needs out of component pieces. Sort of I think that's thing. customization. I think I think of customization as like I get to pick the theme. I think of personalization as like we intelligently add stuff that would work for you. Not not exactly uh, yeah, like yeah. collaborative filtering, but more in the sense of like, well if you've told us that you live in Tallahassee, we're only going to show you houses in Tallahassee unless mm-hmm. you ask otherwise. Yeah, now they do it to tell you where singles are in your area that might be interested in you. They said no one was supposed to be in the area. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Casper. You can learn more about Casper right now by visiting casper.com slash diffs. And when you're ready to buy, please use the very special offer code diffs. Casper are the company that is focused on sleep, and they are dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. You spend one third of your life sleeping, if you're lucky, am I right? Up here. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, you'd want to make sure it's the best it can possibly be, and that's why you need Casper. We're talking about mattresses here, people. You know, you guys know Casper, right? And Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for humans, which is what you are. With engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry, it's got all the right support in all the right places. So you ask yourself, what goes into making a Casper mattress so comfortable? Well, I'll tell you, they combine multiple supportive memory foams for a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Casper mattresses are designed and developed in the United States of America, and their breathable design helps to regulate your body temperature throughout the night. And with over 20,000 reviews and an average rating of 4.8 stars, Casper is very quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. You can be sure of your purchase 
with Casper's 100-night risk-free sleep-on-it trial. They deliver directly to your door, and if for any reason you don't love it, Casper has a hassle-free return policy. I myself sleep on a Casper mattress, and I love it. You know, I'm not a big fan of travel, and part of that is I really like my bed. I got a pretty pimped-out bed set up, and the, uh, the, the, the tent pole, if you like, is my Casper mattress, which I love very much, and uh, I can highly recommend it to you. It's a very, very good mattress. And here's the thing. You can get $50 toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash diffs and using the offer code diffs at checkout. That's D-I-F-F-S. Terms and conditions apply. Casper.com slash diffs and the offer code diffs. Our thanks to Casper for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Now, the thing I'm thinking of is way before the internet. It was just like, using your word processor application. It was kind of like around the time desktop software started to run out of places to hide functionality. Like it had a million menus and then they started having like floating palettes and multiple windows. And it was like, this is all too much. We can't, this is unsustainable. How are we going to provide powerful applications that don't overwhelm the user with a million commands and palettes and toolbars and everything? And the answer was, ah, intelligent software will start very minimal. And as you use features, it will configure itself sort of like the way, you know, if you're working on, you know, working on a car or doing woodworking or whatever, whatever tools you're using will naturally end up being close at hand because you just use that screwdriver. So it's over here, whereas the saw that you haven't used in two weeks is way over there. And so you build up this sort of surroundings of where you're doing your work, the tools that you actually need to do your work at the time. That was the, the software would adapt itself in that way. And I still think that's a good idea. But no one talks about it anymore. And the internet did kind of come and erase all of people's ideas about how to deal with software complexity. It's like, just make it simple and put it on the web. And no one uses all those features anyway. And, uh, you know, 80-20 rule and get yeah. rid of all Microsoft Word's toolbars and make a ribbon and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, but people who want to do complicated things still exist. And the 80-20 rule still exists. But I think the, the solution is not to just say, okay, well, we'll only show the features that most people use. The solution is to find a way to make the application serve both those use cases depending on how you actually use it. Like, like I said, there's nothing more infuriating than a program that makes you do the same repetitive action over and over again, like disclosing a section that is always collapsed every time you go to a thing. It's like, oh, that's crazy. Making. How, how, I, I, how I feel like an, an old school app that's, that I still use today that does that fairly well is default folder, where I, I like that on the one hand, it'll remember if I'm, I remember correctly, it remembers the last folder that you were in for that app unless you selected something you prefer as a default folder per the name. But you also get this cool little icon over in the side where you can show any folder that has been accessed recently, which I think that's the kind of thing that's super clever where, you know, uh, one of the things that I found so attractive about a Mac as I started to like at least understand a little bit more about how it was put together is there were, th- um, there were nearly always like three different ways to do everything. Right there was a menu way, there was a keyboard way, and then there might be like an in-app like uh, palette kind of way. But like depending on what worked at that moment, um, you could do whatever worked best for you. And I always I always thought that kind of stuff was super clever. Yeah, the default folder is about as far as that intelligent adapting application went. As the third-party software things would say, like the OS policy of is is too broad and too dumb. Let's be a little bit more clever. And default folder was a good example. Of like okay, well. It will, you know, it's an example of just uh, adding state preservation 
which in general, I think most people like, especially once they become accustomed to it. It's like, I put a thing in a certain place. I did a certain thing. I want it to be the way I left it last time, right? Right. Except when you don't, as you noted, sometimes like, I don't like it to be where I was last time. I always wanted it to be something else. So that's, you know, an option they added. And then on top of that, it's like, well, what if you don't want either one of those two things? Oh, well, it turns out if you don't want either one of those two things, another common case is maybe one of the places you've been recently. And even mm-hmm. going further, my favorite feature of default folder that I use for years is, okay, what if it's not a place you've been recently and it's not the place where you were last and it's not the default for this application? What's another uh, good chance in the old days, especially maybe not today? What's another good bet on wh- where you're trying to go to in an open Command save D. dialog box? <laughs> no, it's one of the windows you have open in the finder. Oh, so you could yeah, hold, that was, that was, were they the ones who started key. that? I mean, I still use that constantly. Yeah, yeah. Hold down a modifier key and mouse over your mostly invisible windows in the finder, but you can see outlines of them appear. And people tended to know back in the day what size and shape and position their windows were in the finder because they actually retained that state. And you could very quickly go <laughs> to, like, the, the horizontal window in the lower right corner that you just opened, like, three seconds ago because it's the window containing the, the, the project that you're working on. Yeah, And you right could highlight that with a modifier, click on it, and it wouldn't bring it to the front. It would switch the open and save dialog box to that directory. And it was so incredibly efficient. That was a whole yeah. different uh, paradigm there. But, like, th- that whole cascade of, like, where does this person want to go? And let's add software features to get them there ASAP such that if you don't know about these features and you just use default folder for its state retention and defaulting application, you'd be perfectly happy. But if you do complicated things, this application had more and more features to sort of to, to reveal to you, uh, you know, and that that's, that's the, the sign of great software that it can be, it's convenient and, and provides value for everybody. But the more you dig into it, the more value you can extract from it. Was it a Mac feature or a third-party feature where it's like you can double-click on a menu bar, you can hit the yellow button, and it goes down into your dock? Was it a Mac feature where it could like you could click it and it would pop up and you'd see the contents? I mean, you can do that thing now, but you know what I mean? Where it would like pop up folders? Be, yeah, is uh, that it? back in back in the classic Mac OS days, you could take any Finder window and drag it to the very bottom of the screen, and it would turn into a little tab and stay there. And then you could click on that little tab, and the thing the window would slide up. And you could mess with stuff in it, and then you could slide it back down. You know, John, the Mac used to be really fun. Really, fun like, I mean, like, literally, powerful. like, a source of joy in my life. The stuff where, like, just doing stuff in the Finder would make me so happy. I'm not talking about just, like, pure fiddling, but just, like, the sense of place that you got from Windows. Mm-hmm. From the original Mac forward, so there was something so substantial about... This is a folder. This is where the stuff is. And then over time, like through eight, and I guess nine always felt a little weird to me, but seven and eight were really my, that was my wonder years were seven and eight. Um, God, it was just so freaking even take away the kaleidoscope, take away all the crazy, take away dumb stuff like publish and subscribe. But like all, there was just so much stuff that was just really fun to use and gave you a sense that this was your world that you could build, that you could build, you could configure it to be the way that you wanted. And then you could, even if you had crazy dumb ideas about what silly fonts you wanted and if you wanted to look steampunk, like you do all that stuff. But the point was, though, it was your own, I realized, no, this is, I'm throwing you a softball this week. I really miss that feeling of this being this super reliable thing where I set it up a certain way. And then it's, it's always looking for a way to like make things easier for me, but not making it too stupid for me. And I, I miss that feeling. Yep. I mean, I, I've, at this point, I barely know how to talk about it anymore with anyone who didn't experience it. I, you know, I wrote about it back in the day. I think I, well, my 
the phrase that I used to try to express it that never never really resonated with anybody except for people who already agreed with me was a I think something like a coherent world of the computer, right? Mm-hmm. As as in like you just described it as this place, you know, this coherent place that had a set of rules where you could go and arrange things. Uh, the rules may be different than the physical world, but similar it was similarly coherent, and that meant you could fashion it to suit your needs. Like in in the mm-hmm. same way that I think a lot of people can remember the configuration of their childhood bedroom where all their stuff was like where the favorite toys were on the well, shelf you could even like the, find something in the dark if you needed to yeah where where the trophies were or which stuffed animals were in which position you know where your bed was against the wall like where, where your posters were right because that's a space probably the very first space that a lot of people arranged uh based on their desires right they put their stuff and arrange it in a certain place some of it is is just purely decorative some of it is like trophies in a place of pride but some of it is also functional the the book that you're currently reading goes here uh the series that you're reading goes there the toys you play with most often go over here you do your homework over there and have your things arranged and i don't know if it's a particular personality that does that but i feel like everybody arranges their even even hoarders i think arrange their environment in some way to reflect their desires well it's also uh, it's like i mean just to draw out the obvious it's also one of the um i think for almost everybody a kid who's lucky enough to have their own room um it, it's it's your space and there are expectations and maybe you could be better about cleaning up stuff off the floor, mm-hmm. but it is your space and you get, my daughter gets to decide what posters go up, what stuff gets rotated in and out. Um, I think it's, it's, I mean, and that really, that's a period that goes through at least college where like, this is, this is an expression of your personality. It is a, uh, it's an expression of your intentionality, like the kind of stuff that's valuable to you and how you decide to do it. And that, yeah, that was very much the feeling of like, I feel like solidly into uh, the mid nineties, the time everybody remembers as being so horrible. I remember as being a great time on the Mac. Yeah. And in the same way uh, that I can remember the configuration of my childhood bedroom, I was thinking about this the other day, mostly with regret because those things are probably rotting in my attic. But I, I thought about pulling down one of my older Macs just so I could extract the info and put it in a VM somewhere to preserve, because I remember how I would rema- arrange my windows and my icons uh, at various stages of my computing life. And I kind of miss like that that red, that childhood bedroom of my computer, right? Mm-hmm. Custom icons on all my folders, a certain number of folders, windows aligned. That, that, uh, was, my, know, that was my introduction to, to Icon Factory was their sets of uh, icons for mm-hmm. folders. That's how I first ever used anything from them. Yeah, and and I remember at various stages what my computer looked like, what what the world of the computer looked like to me. Basically, what my find, what was my arrangement of finder windows and folders, and how I organized everything on the computer. Uh, at various times, I had to accommodate other people's stuff on the computer because you know no user accounts in classic macOS, so it's everybody's stuff there. So I would choose to arrange things in a certain way, so uh, you know mom and dad could find the word processor, but all my stuff was uh, in, in, in arranged in a way I I wanted it. Um, and I think even even you know childhood bedrooms hunting, but obviously when you become adults, you you arrange your house or your apartment however you want. You get to buy the furniture, you get how you get to pick the house, you get to pick the apartment. You know you have so much control. Mm-hmm. And getting back to one of our favorite topics, part of having kids is realizing this is this you know this agent of chaos, so to speak, that you introduced into your life that does not respect uh, the how you have chosen to arrange things in your house. Forget about <laughs> carving out a corner of your house. There is no part of your house, that, and you know part of the struggle of parenting is trying to get this uh, new being that you've created to integrate into your life in a way mm-hmm. that does not uh, shatter uh, what your carefully arranged uh, coherent world of the house, so to speak. You, and eventually you just, all you've got is a place for your keys and a spot on your mantle for your phone. For your phone. You know, that's that. 
<laughs> you spend it. your whole evening picking up wet towels. Um, <sighs> I'm also I'm feeling very nostalgic as we talk about this, and I'm trying to think of like you know there are, I imagine uh, there are people who you get this strong. How do you describe this? Um, you, you ever think about like when you go bowling and you do the approach, you take the steps, you throw the ball, and like you get a really solid hit. Maybe you get a strike. That's like an amazing feeling. Uh, I was just playing basketball with my daughter yesterday. And so like you're, you're shooting, you do a little layup and that feeling of it leaving your hand and hitting the backboard and going into the net with a little swoosh. Uh, such a good feeling. Maybe for somebody, maybe it's the, for somebody like Casey or you or Marco, maybe it's that feeling of like the amazing feeling of ship shifting into third gear where like you've caused something to happen. There's a sound and there's a feeling. And I have the dorkiest one of these that might be one of my most like beloved sense memories. You know, I'm a clicker, <laughs> but you know, unlike you probably, I would always close all of my windows because I knew leaving lots of windows open was, could be a memory problem, but I'd start up the Mac ding and would come up. And I just remember that feeling with the one button mouse, that very distinctive, again, these, these kids today aren't going to know this, but that you go to Macintosh HD, talk, talk, you double click on that. There's a little animation and that window opens up and you see that menu, not the menu bar, but the top of the window with those horizontal lines in it and the Chicago, you know, up in there. But that sense memory of like, talk, talk, ah, I'm using my Macintosh. And it was such a good feeling. It was like it was like having your own room again. It was the best thing, and that little talk talk like would open up this whole world, and it was just the best. I think I've talked about this on ATP, but I, my memory is of uh, doing that and quickly moving my cursor to be camped out under where I knew the icon that I wanted next would appear. Oh like, yes, that's right? such a pro because, move <laughs> because because the animations and the general the computers in general were so much slower. But also Especially the animation seven. itself was uh, slow. Seven, seven was so tight, but then when eight came out, you had a lot of waiting. <laughs> well, it was just the computers. Like, I mean, the, yeah. I remember the first time I saw a, a Quadra 700 in, in a, an Apple reseller, and I pulled down the menu. I'm like, holy cow, this menu displays so fast. Like, is that, it, was, it was still a level where that type of thing could feel different. Like, this menu, when I display it on my SE30, takes this amount of time to roll down. Right. But on this, on this Quadra 700, it's like instant. Anyway. Uh, yeah, going like double clicking and then moving the mouse. Like I feel like I still have that muscle memory to navigate to, you know, my hard drive, applications, games, you know, whatever Spectre. Like I can, I can still right. like map yeah. out the sequence in the same way that you can like memorize your like unlock code, uh, uh, you know, on on the numpad in the old days of your your phone, right? Mm-hmm. By by like the geometry, I can mm-hmm. map that geometry of where the where the icons would be beneath my cursor. I um don't totally feel that same amount of attachment to my computer that I used to. That's because you're old, though. I mean, like, uh, can, can you imagine the attachment you would have to your iPad if you were, like, you know, your daughter's age? Yeah, that's the funny part, because if I got an iPad today, if I was, well, let's not say my daughter's age. If I got an iPad when I was at, like, maximum nerd, like, if I got an iPad when I was, say, 14, um... I just would not do anything. I would just be, I would be like Alex Cox. I would just spend all day, like exactly arranging the screen to be a certain way and finding exactly the perfect wallpaper. And now I don't remember where I put anything and I just use spotlight. Yeah. I mean, like the kids today, we have that feeling because like, you know, the iPad would have seemed like magic, but they grew up with all this stuff, but I still feel like there's going to be some hardcore nostalgia among kids of this generation for their parents' iPads. Mm -hmm. Just based on the amount of time the kids spend with the devices and how personal it is and how, how like it has replaced television where they can like secretly watch a uh, video without 
you know, without putting on the big communal <laughs> right. screen that everybody can see and like how important that is in their lives. Well, on the, on the big Venn diagram, this kind of falls in, in three circles. Dan and I were just talking on uh, back to work. Uh, we, we've been talking fairly regularly about the kind of unsatisfying experience on many levels of streaming TV services, in particular things that are meant to emulate having cable. You know, just today, uh, uh, ATP references talked about you're like an animal thing, you know, with your TiVo. And we were talking about, like, you remember that feeling in, like, say, 1987, 88. Um, I remember the remotes for the Scientific American, maybe. The boxes that we had got a lot better. The remotes got a lot better. The remotes got a lot smaller with these slightly rubbery keypads on them, but they were very, like, decisive. And I could get from CNN which was, I think, 16 or 17, to MTV, which is like in the low 30s, I knew just exactly how long to hold down the up arrow to be within one, usually, of landing on MTV. And now today, I try really, really hard in Hulu to horizontally move the cursor in a way that I don't accidentally go to my stuff or user. It's, <laughs> it's yeah. much more fraught. Yeah, even, like, even a video application that doesn't have... Uh, precise, not even adjustable, but just precise uh, jump forward back buttons. I forget, maybe it was Hulu, but I was in an application recently like, really? There's no way to skip forward and back by a fixed amount of seconds? You're going to make me drag this scroll thumb, some, try to drag the scroll thumb to some precise amount as I like move my fat finger on this tiny three pixel dot and watch the timestamp change to try to get it to the end of the credits or something? Really? None of them, none of them are good. Zero of them are good. No 30 seconds forward, no 10 seconds back? Not one of them is anywhere near where TiVo was in 2001. Nowhere near. Yeah, and again, the the remote thing, like holding down the button to let go to go back, even that I feel like is barbaric because, uh, you know, this this is a big turning point in my television watching life. And they made a joke about it on, was it Toy Story 2, 1 or 2, where, you know, too late, got to go around around the the horn. Where yeah. he's, you know, <laughs> television used to be so responsive in the completely analog, you know, uh, maybe pre-cable, but certainly in completely analog days where yes, as fast as you could hit the channel up button, your television yeah. would change channel. And that changed dramatically, seemingly overnight when you, quote unquote, upgraded your cable and now upgrade, switching. Upgrade to satellite, right? You get direct TV and it's like you're going to wait at least half a second, maybe a full second well, for and the more image than that, And cable boxes were no better. This is like, like, literally, it felt like you were waiting eons. It, it destroyed flicking. They used to call yeah. it the flicker, and you'd, mm-hmm. you'd flick. I was an expert flicker. I would, you know, go see what, there was no guide channel, right? No guide, whatever, right. you know, so because that's that became the place where I would imagine how many hours, or many collective hours do uh, American television spend on the guide channel. People channel love three. the guide channel. Go to channel three. <laughs> People love it. They love yeah. the guide, which is fine. It's great. It's more efficient, but I'm not, I'm not arguing, just like I wasn't, I'm not arguing for like, please make me navigate to my applications versus using Quicksilver. I'm also not arguing for, please let me find out what's on television by randomly flicking through a thing. What I am arguing for is hardware and software synergy where your commands are obeyed immediately. That's the important thing that I miss. No, I don't oh, miss God, yes. flicking through channels and I don't miss digging through folders to find my applications, but I do right. miss a piece of hardware that does what I want immediately. Mm-hmm. And if you want to double the RAM, you can do that today. You know, the, the, the Hulu one is a funny one, because like I've said too many times, the, the, and I'm trying to make some distinction here, this, the Hulu service is costly but very good. We've got the most maxed out, ma- maxed out Hulu service you can get, and it's actually really quite good. Most of the stuff we want is there. It has a DVR-like functionality that mostly lets you skip commercials. Sometimes it doesn't. It's kind of random. But, you know, but the, the main thing is, like... <laughs> Um, let's say there's a really, I know this is not you, but this is me. If there's a real hot news afternoon and I'm jumping between CNN and MSNBC, um, 
the main the one way you can have to do that is to have what's I think it's called a flipboard or something like that. But you basically you can probably get this on Hulu. You're on a channel. I, I saw that you swipe flipboard up from in the, the bottom. Hulu app the other day, and I'm like, what the hell is Flipboard? You please tell me now. And who and who decided what order those channels are in? Because I'm telling you, I don't know if it's I don't know if they're doing this just to torture me. But MSNBC and CNN are on virtually opposite ends of the dial. I don't see any logic to the way that those things are organized. What are my other options at that point? Well, there's no jump back button. It'd be real nice if they just had a jump to the channel I was just on at the least. They don't have that. So what do you do? Well, you go back to the top level of the interface, and now you have some options. You have the option of what's on right now. Okay, kind of what's on right now, but it might also be the latest version of Rachel Maddow that it recorded. It might be a Hunger Games movie. Okay, no, that's not for us. Uh, Do I go to My Stuff? Well, My Stuff is stuff that's recorded. If it's in progress, you can join in. Okay, let's go to My Channels. And I go to My Channels, and I have three channels. I have CNN, MSNBC, and NBC. And it's a full, you, you used Hulu, right? You go to My Channels, what happens? You scroll down, an entire one page giant image of whatever's on right now and then you go down swipe down to go to the next one do you, have you experienced this i you have gone much farther into the hulu interface than i've ever gone because i've run screaming from it every time basically i basically going app. to you're saying show me bob's burgers mostly right i'm going for there for searching for one show and i'm amazed hey, at how still. hard show it me makes for me to still. find <laughs> that one show is right. it's like you know i i i think keep watching is what I usually go to because it is mm-hmm. like a single serving application to me. And the rest of the interface terrifies me with these words with underlines under them. I don't understand. Yeah. I don't know what a flipboard is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I don't know. But, uh, again, I'm, I'm, I'm more than willing to accept that a lot of this is an old man problem. That's really a problem only for old men. My daughter flies around just fine. No, the Hulu the, interface is bad. I mean, it's really bad, but it's a, it is a shame in the sense that the service is so good. Another thing we talked about on back to work was, uh, I recently had the adventure of entering in. So I went into Apple TV and I entered in, you know, you get TV provider. And I guess there's some benefits to TV provider. One benefit is that it starts acknowledging your channel stuff in the TV app. If you're somebody who likes the TV app. The other thing was I went in and did a uh, single sign on for as many apps as I could get for Hulu. And it was such an adventure where there were some apps that I think were all made by the same Fox like company where the interface was almost identical so you just go to the, it's all a all like Plex. You go to all, all the way to the right at the top to get the settings or whatever. But then there were some where like in some of them, you can scroll all the way to the bottom of the screen past all the content and somewhere at the bottom is settings. And you go in and say, yes, allow the single sign on. But man, I, I hope Tim was not right about apps being the future of TV because it is bad. Well, a lot of that bad. is because that single sign stuff is not supported by any of the big cable companies because they have a stake and you're not using that. So it's supported by far less than you would want and, and not in a uniform way. I mean, I, that's part of the price you pay Yeah, for having third-party apps is that you have to, that means there's going to be a bunch of crap apps, but hopefully that's kind of like the app store. Uh, most apps in the app store are crap, but there are some really good ones and the really good ones are good in ways that perhaps Apple would not think of that. We, we kind of have just the downside of that on Apple TV and not the upside yet. Maybe never, but uh, last old man, Maybe tech thing. I have a very clear idea in mind of maybe two or three periods that really felt like maybe not peak TV in terms of the content, but in terms of like, oh man, this is so money. Like when we first went from like having 10 channels to having 40 channels, like that was a really big deal. Do you have a pretty clear sense in your mind of when you feel like you kind of turned a corner with TV stuff? 
Because for me, that was getting a direct TiVo in 2001. Well, TiVo is, yeah. TiVo's a big turning point. But also, we were going from AT&T with our DSL package and our giant, do you remember, I don't know if you remember old AT&T boxes, but they were like literally a Mac LC, but bigger, like wider. And they would sit, they were just these giant, giant boxes. But like getting a direct TiVo, they came in, they installed the dish, we turned it on. Back then, you also got East Coast Broadcast, which was amazing. But like that was such a mind. I've had like four TiVos since then. But like that first one, like that really felt, that was like getting email to me. Getting a direct TiVo was the equivalent of like getting email. It really felt like there was like a whole new world here. And it was, it yeah, was really sucked. fairly easy to use, unless you were going to rearrange your recordings and then wait for it to save, which sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but satellite sucks. I was never into satellite. Now, yeah, the T- TiVo was the, the thing that most changed my relationship with television. And when I bought it, it was such a such a miracle of technology because the the connection to your home from your home to the rest of the world was still minimal. I don't even remember if I had anything beyond uh, a modem as the end of the TiVo you connected to a phone line. Like that's how it got the guide data. That's so right. That's right. But, but you we, were on, cable, we were on DSL at that time. Yeah, I'm not sure what we were on, but whatever it was, the cable that was delivering video, the analog cable that was delivering video to my house was by far the largest bandwidth thing, but it, you didn't have control over it. It just delivered broadcast cable to your home. And by putting a device that connected to your phone line plus a bunch of computer crap and a hard drive in it, it turned that stupid, constantly spraying broadband analog video into a digital interface that you control. You could play it like a piano. Now. It was like the difference between a fire hose and a piano. Yeah, and th- and that you know, the totally changed. You know, it, that's that's when I you know said my goodbyes to the commercials in the same way that uh, what was it uh, interview with the vampire? Have you said your goodbyes to the light? Have you said your goodbyes to the commercials? <laughs> I did. I said my goodbyes to the commercials. Bye bye. And I you know and I, I think the only other comparable thing is perhaps when I went from you know VHF UHF you know I went from like the channels yeah right when I went from that to I guess it had to be cable oh, to that was pretty spe- cable, that was pretty special. <laughs> And I, I think we didn't even have a television remote. We had the cable box with the slidey thing on the top. You, that you yeah, would there slide. were slidey ones and there were dial ones. We had a dial one. Yeah, and we had a slidey one. Which I, which I eventually many. figured out how to conduct with the stick of my own design. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? The uh, uh, a dialing wand from the episode? <laughs> because, of my, because of my fat fingers. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that was, you would think it was like, oh, wow, there's so many channels. There wasn't that there was more channels. It was that there were channels that I didn't even know existed. And my, the most exciting one for me was the channel way up in the 30s that showed anime. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? wow. Okay. Like, like, like on, on television, you know, you didn't have to buy it in a weird VHS and, you know, and some obscure store. Like, you know, every day at two or three, they would show terribly dubbed anime weird shows that i never even knew existed i had no idea how old they were i had no idea what they were on about but it's like this is on television it's on television every day like there are channels up there showing you know special interests let's say like things things that you didn't even you know it it seemed like it was it was a a crime that you were even seeing them like i shouldn't be able to see this but it's on tv every day that's the other big turning point i think for television so tivo and that Mm -hmm. (sighs) mm-hmm commercials thing i mean you know it's weird it's um i don't know commercials are so bad now it just makes it even worse but that feeling the first time that you went i forget the noise but it was like tick 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 where we go up a little bit when you do the the jump forward oh my god you felt like a magician what you're talking about tivo you kept the sounds on on tivo the interface sounds 
It's barbaric. Oh, come on. You got to have those. The interface sounds off. Do you keep key clicks on your iPhone too? Uh, two days ago, my daughter told me I need to really turn those off. I know, you're, I know it's bad, but I like it. I feel like it you're, helps me. You're a monster. I'm not a monster. I'm an animal. It, it helps me type better. Yeah, otherwise, how would you know if you hit a key? If it doesn't make a noise, it's like the it's the, my favorite. <laughs> no, my favorite, my favorite uh, TV computer trope that when letters appear on the screen, right. each letter makes a beeping noise. Otherwise, how will you know letters were appearing? <laughs> Neo, when, Neo, when a window up. appears, <laughs> <laughs> follow the <laughs> white rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Fracture. You guys know Fracture. You can learn more about Fracture right now by visiting FractureMe.com. Here's the deal. Fracture is the company that can take your favorite images and print them directly onto glass for you to display in your home. I think you could also put it in your office. They didn't tell us to say that, but you can put, put a Fracture wherever you want. This is America, man. Oh, they make a perfect, thoughtful gift. Fractures are handmade in the Gainesville, Florida area from U.S. sourced materials their sleek, frameless design goes with any decor. Ordering is super simple, and fractures come ready to display straight out of the box. They even include the wall hanger. That's how fuss-free the Fracture experience is. And just so you know, Fracture is a green company operating a carbon-neutral factory, which they lovingly refer to as their Fractory. I'm going to tell you a secret. Uh, my friends don't know this yet, but I have recently utilized the Fracture service to send some fractures to co-hosts of a podcast that I do. So they're going to open up a box and there's going to be a, a funny in-joke uh, printed on a fracture. And that's a thing that I did. And it was real easy because their website is super easy to use. You go to FractureMe.com. Fracture prints are a great addition to any home. They make great gifts for your friends and your family. It is time to rescue those photos that are hitting, hidden away on your devices. Go in there. Go to your favorites. Go look at, look at those photos. Look how beautiful they are. Look at your kitty cat. What a sweet, sweet, precious angel. Is there somebody that might like to have that literally printed on glass? Think about it. So head over. You go to FractureMe.com to get started and see how sleek fractures look. And when you go to FractureMe.com, you want to use the offer code DIFFS. That's D-I-F-F-S. That'll get you 15% off your first order. And please do me a favor and do not forget to pick reconcilable differences in their one question survey. It uh, lets our Fracture friends know that uh, you found out about them through us and it helps us a lot. So thanks a lot. And our, and our thanks to Fracture for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. I, actually, the best variant of that trope is, I think it's an 80s thing. Text appears on the screen. It's like a title card telling you, like, you know, Indian Ocean, 1976, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and so they do, they, well, I'm going to be computery. So the text would be like green CRT oh, type yeah, like, text. Oh, yeah, like a Jack Ryan movie. Like, brr, brr, right. Brr. right. And they would do the brr noise, but they would, they would add to the audio, to the audio foley or whatever to that. They would also add like the type, like IBM Selectric typewriter. That was so such like a spy movie once. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it would be electromechanical. It was like the beepy noise, which never has existed in reality, combined with the sound of a typewriter. And maybe it was even a typewriter font in the green CRT thing. It's like, what are you... What? And it became such a such a trope that everyone just accepted it. Like, but what, what noise do you think you're making? Because text does not make a noise when it appears on computers. It also usually doesn't appear a letter at a time. Even over a modem, even over a, you know, a 300-baud modem, I suppose you might get a letter at a time, but certainly they're not each beeping. But then you're adding a typewriter to it? What are we to believe is making this text on the screen? I think that's funny. You know what's great is I'm just looking at the, um, you see, you see in Captain America Civil War, 
mm-hmm. whenever you do their, what do you call it, an inner title, but you, where you want to say where you are right now? <laughs> do, you yep. remember, do you remember this from the movie? The, the, the letters are, are ludicrously large. London! <laughs> and they yeah, take yeah. up like no, three quarters I, I, of the screen. I miss, uh, remember Fringe? The Fringe was the most aggressive use of typography I've ever seen in a television show. Do you remember Fringe? No, I didn't watch it. So Fringe had same thing, like uh, London or whatever, right? And uh, I was, you know, the dawning age of being able to do affordable computer graphics and television shows. And they would do the title in, like, 3D chunky text, like text that is, like, deeper than it is tall or wide, right? Oh, my God. Really big 3D chunky text that was incorporated into the environment as if gigantic metal letters the size of Volkswagens were floating in midair. Above the what? establishment. I mean, shop. did they do it? Was it well done, like a Doctor Who? It was thing? supposed to be like photorealistic, but literally, it you know was what I'm saying? Like, 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 what was that? What was that? There was a Will Ferrell movie where they did that really well. There's Lonely Sandwich does that well in his videos. But that, there's that thing you can do today where you can really make it look like you're mapping it onto something and it's moving around. Like, was, was it that kind of stuff, or was it just like it, Kai's power like, tools on a building? It was like AR. Like, they wanted you to believe that, I mean, they don't have to believe, but like the style was that the text was part of the environment. Mm-hmm. Like, that if you were to walk around there, you could walk underneath the giant letter D and look up at the bottom of it because it was floating 20 feet above the, the ground in front of this building. And I thought it was a really cool, interesting aesthetic, but it was like aggressive. Like, Let's they did that, they did that really fact. well in Day of the Doctor. There's that one where, like, when they do the flashback to when number 10 is with Queen Elizabeth, and they, I, I remember they, they do that very well. That's, that's easy to do poorly if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, and I'm sure, like, the, the CG was probably not as good as I remember it being. Uh, I like much of the CG Doctor Who continues to be. <laughs> but, you know, well, you know. Budgets, you only need but, one uh, Santarin, you know? Yeah. He'll offer to come out and protect your school. <laughs> I, you know, when you when you posted that, you, uh, I didn't realize it was a meme until I saw someone else post it, and I thought you had made up that whole little sequence. But I don't, I don't know anything more oh, about. Oh, it's pretty early. Um, I'll send you a good one here, uh, Matt Christmas. What, what is the origin of that text? What you honestly person? don't know? I do not. Uh, know. Okay, okay. No, I'm not. I'm not feigning. I'm not feigning. But I will send this to you. Oh no, is it gone? <gasps> Did he delete it? Oh was no, it he some, deleted it. What a some cuck. person's tweet. He deleted it. What a cuck. Oh, because everyone was making fun of him. Well, oh, yeah, but you understand. This is a proud American soldier on Twitter. So mm, I can't send this to you now. I can do a screenshot. But basically, it's this guy decked out in full, like, gear, carrying some kind Mm -hmm. of semi-automatic weapon. He's got a a helmet on. He's got a sidearm. He's fully – he looks like he's about to, like, go into Mogadishu. And and he says, I pledge to work for free for – you've seen what he says – but yes. like basically it's this incredibly creepy looking guy with sunglasses and like I'm just imagining in my kid's classroom like having this guy come into class. So anyway, yeah, everybody had fun with that. So like I feel like the um, the, the tweet that I would do about that, which I would say I couldn't do, but like um, if I could imagine into existence, it would be uh, a short film probably with no dialogue, right? That just – you could do it as a comic, but I think a film with some poignant music would work better of mm-hmm. him showing up in the classroom, poised there at the door guarding right and then it would show like a time lapse of like the seasons passing 
And he's still sitting. <laughs> like he's the still, Minnesota Spankological Protocol. <laughs> he's, he's still sitting there. Right. Yeah. No, no, but you know when he's spanking Skinner? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when he's in the Santa beard? <laughs> but it, more, more like the Futurama episode with the dog waiting at the at the uh, the train station. Okay. More like that, right? And so, and he and he's aging, and he's sitting in the chair, and he's got his rifles, and like his body is wasting away underneath his, his <laughs> body everything armor. everything <laughs> Right. And, and eventually, blood clots form in his legs because he's sitting down <laughs> all the time too much, and he becomes, you know, he, he, he has like a stroke. Seven. He has a stroke, and he becomes immobilized or whatever, and then and he's, he's on his deathbed. He's in a wheelchair. <laughs> <laughs> and and he's just happy to have oh, been able got, to, he's got an IV, to serve. He's got like an IV drip. Yeah. And then eventually he he, he dies a hero's death, having served faithfully, staying outside <laughs> that. American. Yeah. I don't, you know, that person yeah. means well. At least that no, person means no, well. I'm going to say that. No, he doesn't. No? Nope. He doesn't nope, mean nope, well? No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, no, no. From the text of the thing, I feel like he means well. He's misguided. No, I think he mostly wanted right? to show you that he has lots of guns and cool sunglasses. Right, yeah, but also he's he, he he feels like it's time to get out there and defend kids, which is He feels like good he instinct, needs to signal virtue. Right? It's mm, no, I think I think it is a good instinct. <laughs> he's signal virtuing. Uh, ba- badly uh realized. Such one in your uh, text there, don't show it to your kids. Well, that's a pretty good one. I saw I saw your Santarin and I saw Todd. What did Todd do? I didn't see. I, oh, uh, somebody did Ed two hundred nine. I think that might have been Max. <laughs> oh goodness! What do you think of that? <laughs> what do you think of that? He's he's locked and loaded. <laughs> that's Photoshop. You think so? You don't think that's a real unit? I, I hope f- not. I call them fuel cells. You must have enough fuel cells. Mm-hmm. I you know, God, I'm, I'm so you glad you played. Any follow up for other podcasts this week, John? I, I'm so glad you played that full clip of what's the person's name? Uh, we call him Ty Lambo. Yeah, I'm so glad you played that clip because normally you just make jokes about things, but you know what? You got an extra some time in the after show, and you can play the audio of a full YouTube clip. And finally, I can appreciate what it is that you're riffing on. Was it pretty well done? Don't you think? Uh, I haven't actually seen the video. I've only heard the audio. But if but you I listen to I'm, the audio, I'm, I'm, it I'm actually it's, it's composing. Full sentences out of Ty Lambeau's yeah, Hollywood no, I Hills. Get it. It's really funny. <sighs> Only 47 uh, Warren Buffett's in his Warren Buffett account. Mm-hmm. So, you don't think that's real? You think that's Photoshopped? Oh, I don't know. I, huh. I closed the window. He's I'm hoping it's Photoshopped because who would, willing, who would willingly pose like that? A veteran. Who I ask you? Hmm. <laughs> it seems like it'd be hard to manipulate his weapon with those mittens. <laughs> No, it's not in show notes. Don't ask. <clears throat> Moving on. Closing that window. Closing that window. Oh, God, I'm exhausted. Exhausted. Um, how you doing? So, you good? You good? Google Calendar UI. We yeah, how far, about that, huh? A little far afield there. Yeah, but that's, you know, I I, I don't know. I, I get nostalgic sometimes. You know, I mean, it's it's... It's like they say uh, in the in the play Equus, moments snap together like mag- magnets. You know what I'm saying? Like, who knows? I, I do know what you're saying. <laughs> Peter Schaefer. Who knows how my life would have been different if I hadn't had to type a paper on a Mac? Is it making you feel nostalgic uh, that uh, part one of the today's uh, news tidbits is that Kevin Smith had a giant heart attack at 47 years old? No, no. I think I'm in pretty good shape. My beard's very gray, but but I think I'm in pretty good shape. Mm. Like 152. Mm. I, bet, I bet Douglas Adams thought he was in good shape, too. Oh, come on! Oh. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Just, Kevin Smith, you're like, oh, but that guy, that guy let It's surprising, go. though, because he was a famous procrastinator. I can't believe he died so young. Um, 
So, loves the sound of deadlines whizzing by. Mm-hmm. Um, Didn't they whoosh over his head or they whizz by? <laughs> something you may, you like might, that. You might have got it closer. He loves, he lo- I, I love deadlines. I love the sound they make as they go whooshing by, something like that. Yeah. You know, he was hard, he was hard to work with. Really? Well, well I, I mean, wor- he was, he actually was, like, uh, supposedly with the Doctor Who stuff. Where did they talk about this? On one of the shows. On... But like apparently they had to like essentially like lock him in a room to like get him to do anything. Oh yeah, no, he he, he you know why why does he find it so hard to do his work? He had a lot of answers. <laughs> he for needed that. more alarm clocks. That's right. Well, he literally did because the only way it would work is like he he couldn't even self hack. He needed externalities. He needed he needed other people to lock him in a room. <laughs> <laughs> T. Earl Grey hot. Um. So <laughs> he needed someone to to stomp on his stamp collection before he could write anything. <laughs> 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 that's, that's the new like uh, I have to kill a hobo or see a dog die. <laughs> just yeah, just to feel anything. Right. Um. Do you? Never mind. I don't want to talk about it here. Uh, we'll save it for the after show. Uh, John, uh, did, did you have any of these uh, in our seven minutes we have left? Did any of these other main topics appeal to you? I like not, politeness. Not in seven minutes. I like seven politeness. minutes. Come on, we don't have, we don't have time for anything big. No, no, no. We're good. It's an hour seven. Uh, we got to call call an audible. Let's see, what's new in your life? That's that's small and not in our notes here. What's going on? Okay, what's I'm excited. I'm excited about my new weather station. Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. Just 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 got a guy. Um, I'm very excited about my new weather station. I'm having a lot of fun with that. Mm, yeah, that's 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 show related, right? No, I no, no, no. But I mean, it actually is like really fun and scratches a niche that well, I didn't expect. I I could have predicted that you would love a new weather station because you already you you want to know the weather inside your house. Forget about the weather well, the outside. Humidity. Yeah, I mean it's relative. Yes, right. You need I'm to know that. Excited about that. My daughter's away for two nights on a field trip, and that's kind of freaking me out. Mm, two nights. Is this the first time she has spent uh, time? away from her parents overnight no 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 no. she's she stayed um she's she's done lots of stuff with sleepovers and visiting with her aunt for a a similar amount of time but Mm. it's kind of a big one you drive far away i can say it's uh, already passed as this comes out they they go to gold country like to coloma to like you know where sutter's mill is and you do this whole like california history unit and learn about the gold rush and then you go there and stay there for two nights but like for some kids it is really really tough super tough she i as of this morning anyway she was handling it all very well but yeah i mean i'm you know i sent you some photos it's it's yeah it's weird you know yeah my daughter is uh has been lobbying to go to sleepaway camp uh over the summer instead of just regular like day camp you're kidding she wants yeah. to do that mm-hmm. Good i think her. some of her friends have already done it uh it's just hard to know whether obviously she thinks she's ready but she has historically not been a good judge of what she is or isn't ready to do. Uh, so it seems like this is a thing that's going to happen. I think she'll probably be fine. But I think kids, I mean, kids and even parents don't, uh, certainly kids, but sometimes also parents don't appreciate the the value of the reset, right? That regardless of what terrible thing has happened during a day at school or wherever, yeah, that the kid comes home. And sleeps in their own bed and gets mm-hmm. tucked in by their parents, and that serves as like a, a, a child reboot, a reset. Now, in some oh, yeah, ways, you, you, the, the you drink the same organ, you take the same shower, you poop in the same toilet. Like, there's something real. Like, I agree with you. It is like it is like a like. Let's go back to one. Let's let's reset everything. Yeah, and especially if you're having a rough time or you're feeling lonely, it can just be excruciating to be away. 
Yeah, and, and the sleep itself serves as an important reset, but I think the ritual surrounding the sleep and the familiar circumstances serve more so. And like the kids who get into trouble at a sleepaway camp are the ones who uh, the lacking of the the reset builds up into the point where they're unmoored. They they have no they they no longer have an anchor to help them. You know, they they don't realize how close to the edge they were until. Well, and also they we protect them. We reset. protect them from that edge. That's I mean, truthfully. You know, that's it's it's a little bit like project management in some ways. I think of almost everything like project management because that's my curse. But like, you know, one part of project management is that like you do all of these things to I was telling my daughter really just just the other day, like why I'm such a pill and why I'm such a pain in the ass about so many things is that like I used to be paid to be a professional pessimist. That it used to be my job to make sure all the things that we think are good stay good, but also to think about stuff that nobody else can should or will think about that could go wrong. And then what we do if that goes wrong. And so like, you know, even without becoming a totally crazy person, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like you, you, you walk through the contingencies, a little bit of risk management, like what the branches are for like, okay, if there's a big slip here that nobody but me can even anticipate, because of course there's never going to be a slip. Well, if we do have that slip and that has consequences and that kicks us over in overtime, like what does that do for phase two of this and all that kind of stuff. So you try to do that quietly without being a nut. But at the end of the day, as they say, you still have to accept that the biggest thing that's going to screw you up is the thing that you couldn't see coming. And I think a thing like a sleepaway camp not to make it dark, but that that's where the thing that you couldn't expect would never have come up until they are away for one, two, three, seven days. And like you say, the reset is gone and it's a little bit like boot camp where like they can't just they can't just, you know, <laughs> tug on a silk cord and teleport home. Like they're kind of stuck with whatever that thing is. So if things go south after, you know, 18 hours. It's gonna someone's, suck. Driving, someone's driving out to get them. I mean, in today's connected world, it's not like you're not going to know. They're going to call you and you're going to come and get your kid, which is fine. They would I have mean, to be a really, really – they weren't even – they're not even allowed to have watches. Well, it's just two days. I mean, I feel like no, no matter I know, how bad I know, I know, I know. things go, it's like I'm they not, go bad I'm not stressing day. about that part of it. But like, you know, there were some kids that had some legit meltdowns this morning where like there are – and I'm, I mean, every kid's different, but like my kid is totally fine with sleepovers at the house, sleepovers at other houses. Like she's all fine. She's done tons of that stuff, but there are a lot of kids like that still sleep with their parents every night. And like the idea of like suddenly not, not only not sleeping with their parents, but like being in an area where they can't control the environment and make everybody shut up can be really shocking. Yeah. I mean, and you know, this has to happen at some point. It's just a question yeah. of when is your particular kid ready to cross that hurdle and you we you know the, a lot of these sort of organized things especially where they're cool is like well the assumption is that by the time every kid is this age they will theory either already cross this hurdle or are ready to and it's usually mostly right but you know there's always a couple of kids who are uh not quite ready and it's kind of cruel in that way in in like that all of our regimented sort of uh yearly schooling is that uh the kids who are not ready for that feel pressure because it's a, an activity that all of their peers are doing, and now they're the weird one because they're not ready to do that, right? Yeah, yeah. And it, everything it feels. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, it's like a synergy, a synergy of pain. Like all of these things just like build on each other in the worst ways. It's like it's no fun. That's uh, that's that's what's going on in my neck of the woods. You know, I'm not I'm not stressing about it. It's more like oh, they got on the bus and it was raining this morning, and I'm just like oh god, this feels like such a headline. Like oh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you're not supposed to say those things out loud. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. 
You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com and please enter the offer code DIFFS at checkout and that'll get you 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace because Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next big idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and so much more. Maybe you want to create an online store, a portfolio, or a blog. Whatever it is you want to make, Squarespace has got you covered because it's an all-in-one platform, lets you do whatever you need to do. Heck, I even have a podcast there, the Roderick on the Line show that I do with uh, John Roderick, all hosted on Squarespace. It makes it so easy. There's nothing to install. There are no patches to worry about, and no upgrades are ever needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace does it all for you. And if you ever do need help, don't sweat it. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. If you ever need a little help, they let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. And all of their beautiful award-winning templates are designed to show off your great ideas. They're all naturally responsive, which means they look great on all kinds of devices and dinguses. This is a great service. I can actually highly recommend them. I don't know if they're perfect for you, but there's somebody in your life who needs Squarespace. You do not want to be in the webmaster business. Please let Squarespace take care of that for you. The crazy part is that Squarespace plans start at just $12 per month, but you can go right now and start your free trial with no credit card required. You just go to squarespace.com. And when you decide to sign up, please use the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, that will get you 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Squarespace. Make your next move. Make your next website. How's Daisy doing? You got any updates on Daisy? Oh, uh, she's all right. Uh, she's we have some problems with her when we take her to the park because now pretty much every time we take her to the park, she wants to go disappear. Did is it, I tell is it you about still the fish? Yeah, the fish area. Did I tell yeah. you? Uh, we we talked about it on the show, but I don't think I had. Maybe I did have the follow up where she she did her normal thing and wouldn't uh, wouldn't come back eventually. Uh, the last time we talked about it, you were talking about the frustration of. Uh, you know, it's not really a fence if it isn't all the way a fence. And mm-hmm. that you, you sent me the GPS of having to follow Daisy into beyond the fenced area to where the fish used to be. Yeah, and I think that that was still in her phase where, yeah, she runs away and goes up this hill and goes on her merry way. But eventually I, I wander up the hill with her and climb around these, you know, and, and eventually get her to come back. Well, fairly shortly after that, she ran up there and she wouldn't come back to me, period, like. She well, wouldn't. She's, if I got, she's really got her own agenda. Uh, yeah, if I got close to her, she'd see me and be like, "Oh no, it's the fuzz." And they would just, she would just, she's you know, a man. It's up. the cops. Exactly right. And so it's like, well, she's just never to come back. So I, I came down the hill and I just waited on a bench. Say maybe she'll come back down if she misses me. She never did. Uh, what had to happen was one of the people whose backyard she's rooting around in for dead fish came out of their house and they lured her with treats, which I wasn't able to do. I had like, I had like cold cuts. Right, I had like quality human food <laughs> to try to lure meats. her towards. Me. Yes, to try to lure, literally, to try to lure her towards me. Cheese sticks, and of course, all of her drug treats. And she was like, "Uh, uh-uh, uh, I know that game. I'm not going near you." But someone else came out and offered her a treat, and I guess she didn't expect them to also have a collar because they had a dog. So we got a call from somebody. Hey, we found your dog, uh, and then I, you know, arranged to meet them down in the park. That's feeling so nice. bad that my dog was running around in their backyard. And then the, the poor girl, the poor daughter of the, the, you know, person who lived in the house has Daisy on a leash, brings her down to me. Uh, we're meeting at the, in, in the park. We get within three feet of each other and she bends down and takes Daisy off the leash, expecting that Daisy will run to me. Oh my God. Daisy does not run to me. Daisy oh. turns tail, runs straight back up the hill. She's so disloyal. 
<laughs> and so you just got to go up there and chase the birds and the squirrels and look for dead fish. Oh and so we had another merry chase trying to get her. And once again, I wasn't able to lure her, but some people from one of the houses up there were able to lure her. And then I took her. So now it's like, well, you know, we can't take you to the park if you're going to. She's running through the streets up there. Like eventually she gets through people's backyards into the streets. So it's a dangerous situation. You think she's going through a phase? She she might be going through a phase. She, I mean, she loves birds and and squirrels and rabbits and anything she can hear or smell in the woods. She loves to find discarded food in the woods, dead animals. She just loves it, right? And you know, it's a simple, simple uh, equation. What do I want more right now? A, A piece of a cheese stick or a piece of turkey or a dog treat or to chase this bird? And it's like right now. I want to chase this bird. Well, she's, she's on a Bildungsroman. She's got like a whole thing to do. Yeah. And she, you know, I, I assume eventually she would come back. She didn't get run over by a car, but it's a dangerous situation. So now we take her to the park and it's like, we have to, we only have two choices. It's either take her to the park and let her run around and play with the dogs. And then preemptively, before she gets bored with playing with the dogs, before she realizes the hill is there, take her home, which cuts short all of her visits. We should stay there for like an hour and just let her run and play and run and play. But now... As soon as she remembers or realizes that the hill is there or loses interest in the dogs for a second and takes off like a shot up the hill, we have to like cut her thing short. And last time we were there, we didn't cut it short. She's playing with the dogs. One dog wandered over towards the hill and she's like, oh, the hill exists. And up she went. Oh, uh, this geez. time we had three people with us and we managed to triangulate and get her to uh, come to one of them to, to get a treat. But Is there any you know. benefit to taking her somewhere else to try and just break the habit for a little while? I don't know if it's so much a habit. I mean, we could try to work on training her to... We used to have better recall. We trained recall all the time. We'd get her to come back to me and give her a treat, get her to come back, give her a treat, get her to come back, give her a treat. We'd train this like crazy in her youth, but it seems like it's gotten worse and not better. Her recall used to be so much better because she would come back to get what we had to offer. Uh, but now, she, if we call her to come back, she's, she takes that as a signal to run farther away. Because like, that means, you know, we did the whole thing. Like, don't, every time you tell her to come back, don't put the leash on her. Because then she'll never come back to you. She thinks, if, if they call me, that means I'm about to get the leash put on me. But right, no, we right, call right. her to come back all the time. Come back, get a treat. All right, go back and play. Come back, get a treat. All right, go back and play. But she knows when we're, you know, when she's up on the hill and we tell her to come, she's, she looks over and she looks over and she's like, oh, no, I can't go back. And oh, no. she's, she's off again. you out. That's the worst. Yeah, she's a little bit too too clever for her own good. So she does want to run and play. We have her doing doggy play dates now once a week where she gets to play <laughs> in an actual fenced-in area with a bunch of her doggy friends. I'm sure she goes nuts there, but uh, I, I really do wish the dog park had a fence that went all the way around it. It would really change our quality of life. And you can't really wear her down in a way that's that has any results for you. We've talked about this, I think. I mean, she does get worn out from running around at the park. She does get worn out from running up and down these huge hills. But that wearing, that worn out part manifests when we come back home, not when we're in the park. Mm-hmm. There's too many, too many birds are flying around and she doesn't realize that they can fly and she can't. So she is just running through the woods like a, on a merry chase. Too many fish remnants. Yeah, she still goes to that exact spot. It's like a homing pigeon. Is she a shepherding dog? I mean, what's I her, her breed she's, she's is... a mix of all sorts of things. It's clear that she's got some kind of, like, animal hunting instinct. Because she, you can see her pick up the trail of, like, whatever rabbit or whatever walked by here. And she will sniff from disturbed piece of sto- soil to the tuft of a tree. You can, you know... Like, she's a ranger. Uh, yeah. She's, she's, on the, she's, on, she's on the trail of something. She's not just idly sniffing. She, she sniffs with a purpose. Mm. Purposeful. So that's what she's doing. So I don't know what we're going to do. Like when the weather starts getting better, we'll probably 
go to the park more often, but that means we'll probably spend more time, uh, you know, potentially watching our dog die by getting hit by a car. Well, this is stressful. You don't want that. No. I mean, like, you don't want to keep her cooped up and you don't want to not let her run, but eventually she's going to get hit by a car and die. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's no good. You don't want that. Yeah. How's your weighted blanket doing? It's good. It's good. It's good. That that let's save that for a mini topic. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what we should talk about sometime. What? Um, this is a minefield, but um, I'm against minefields. We cover that topic. There you go. Well, if we gave all the teachers landmines, that would keep mm-hmm. away all the people with that landmines. Would, yeah, that would probably if each child had a landmine with them, right? Then navigating the minefield. A lot of those those have. sickos are cowards. Um. Um, maybe I'll just add this to the list. Sometimes I want to talk about the minefield of what kind of stuff do you feel? I don't know how to even phrase this. What kind of stuff do you feel like you want to teach or encourage in a girl child? You ever think about that? I'm sure you do. It's kind of related to polite. I realize it's related to politeness. I thought I didn't realize politeness was about this, but I'm trying to think about like, uh, there's all these ways that I can dilly-dally around the situations of the world and the political landscape and all of the, the problematic fraughtness of life. But like, it's, I find it incredibly thorny. I mean, there's some things that are a no-brainer, but there's other kinds of things that I think are very challenging. Do, do you have an idea of what you think it's valuable to try to teach to a girl child? Every time I find myself thinking about this, I get stymied before I even begin by the larger problem of figuring out a way to teach any of my children anything about anything. Mm-hmm. Because well, you're, increasingly... You're right. it's, 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 a, it's a known issue. Increasingly, my kids don't want to hear anything. I, what's the most recent example? So neither one of my kids can use computers because they don't care about computers. They can't use Macs or PCs, right? They have no idea about anything on these things. They, they kind of know how to use iPads and iPods, but not really... They know nothing about computers. And uh, my daughter was using Photoshop, and she was trying to do a thing uh, uh, that would be much more easily accomplished by understanding that layers have transparency to them, mm-hmm. right? So, the, you know, she knew she watched YouTube videos about Photoshop, right? Oh, God, she, yeah. Oh, so no, she but knows, she was trying to do the heavy lifting, like, manually. I don't even know if she knows about layers yet, but she had one thing, and she wanted to, you know, I said, if you just made that, uh, put that in a separate layer and made it transparent, then you'd be able to see it when it's there, and you can adjust the transparency. It's like very simple Photoshop 101. And you have no idea how vehemently she did not want me to show her anything. Layers, transparent. I, she's just like, go away. Do mm-hmm. not try to teach me anything. Nothing you can tell me. I will accept no knowledge that you have about Photoshop. And I wasn't, you know, it's not like I'm hanging over her shoulder. I just noticed she was doing something, taking interest in what she was doing. I'm like, oh, you could do that more easily. You just made that layer transparent. Want me to show you how? No, go away. Don't try to show me anything. And so I, you know, I just had to say, well, just do a YouTube search for layer transparency and hope that she would eventually do that. Because obviously I can't tell her how to do anything. So when I think about what things do I want to teach my child about All the right, world yeah, that are yeah, more complicated than knowing question. that there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. there's an opacity slider for layers in Photoshop, which is a small piece of information that I thought would be useful in the moment that oh, I can impart. But if somebody, if somebody I, cool at school told her about it, that'd be fine. She'd be telling me. She'd be saying, Dad, did, did you know, know there's, there's an opacity layers? For, for layers yeah. in Photoshop? I bet you didn't know that, Dad. Oh, that's really cool, honey. Thank you. 
Yeah, so she doesn't want to hear anything from me about anything, and neither does my son. And so when I think about these larger issues, like I'm especially things, you know, my kids, uh, my daughter is, just, you know, she's 10. She's getting to be around that age where her world's going to start to change in a couple of different ways. It sounds like uh, she's becoming, or it's not criticism, but just your anecdote, she sounds like she is um, somewhere between confident and willful. Oh, she's very willful. Uh, she's not particularly confident, but she's very independent. Definitely. I was a very independent child, too. Uh, but, like, I'm I'm wondering, like, I've been waiting a lot of time to say let her enjoy her childhood for as long as she can enjoy her childhood. You don't have to intentionally complex, you know, make her world more complex before it needs to be. Right? There will be a time and a place for that oh, type of thing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And so she's still in elementary school, right? So let her enjoy her elementary school, right? Eventually, there will be a series of conversations that, you know, I, I've... I've sprinkled in here and there the idea that she is at a disadvantage in the world because of sexism. And I tell my son that, that he is at an advantage in the world because of sexism. It, broadly speaking, when it comes up in context, no long discussion that follows it, merely a statement mm-hmm. uh, of fact, right? But I don't think uh, either one of them feel that yet. And the fact that I've mentioned it a few times has the only effect I've seen it have is my daughter to occasionally push back and say, you know, not everything's sexism, dad. So (laughs) she's now, she's already taken the red pill. She's red pilling me because But it's challenging also with with your son, though, because your son is right at that age where it would be whenever we hear the overdue, this is not about him, but whenever you hear the overdue, you know, discussion of like, well something I can't get past, which is like, isn't it odd that it's never girls that are shooting up schools? Like there's all kinds of things where it would be nice if the guys were better about this. Right. And like there's him as at the age he is now. And there's the him at the age he will be in three years and the level of plasticity and fecundity for those ideas. It's going to become less plastic over those three years. He's more receptive. He doesn't want to hear it from me, but I feel like, uh, he more, is less likely more to like re- bioavailable. Like he's he's yeah. more like open to it. Something he's less likely to rebel explicitly rebel against it. He doesn't really want to hear it, and he'll cringe. But the information will enter his brain, and he will accept it and incorporate it. Um, and so that's that's the challenge there. But I feel like it's it's surmountable because he just I just have to deal with his cringing and his suffering. Eventually, the information will transfer, and will you know lessons will be imparted or whatever. I've already gone through a couple of rounds of that with. Uh, how he talks to his friends and you know the typical middle school boys you can imagine how they talk to each other yeah. it is not the most heightened dialogue and i'll point out as as you would say the problematic aspects of how he is communicating with his friends and i think he is hopefully taking that to heart uh, but my daughter any attempt to impart any wisdom and information results in an equal and opposite reaction which is not what i want so i have to just kind of pull back uh, i'm not sure how i'm going to navigate this when when the time comes you know like with her i feel like it's every once in a while it's like magic hour for filming movies like every mm-hmm. once in a while there's like a moment or the uh what was it in legend where the was it legend? Magic, no, magic Lady, hour is Lady a good way to put it though like we're like there's this completely nobody could have expected it opportunity for see i was attempted to make it a, i was tempted to make it a sports thing and, and, and say it's an easy slam dunk but it's something much more subtle than that where it's like there's a there's this dawning of like oh, you're very close to understanding or being prepared to understand something maybe even better than me thank god and like oh gosh if this moment goes right like this could really click and this does not have to be like pushing a rock it's uh it's like lady hawk do you remember lady hawk i never saw it oh my goodness uh, michelle, anyway. pfeiffer. michelle pfeiffer and uh, yeah. ferris bueller R- R- mm-hmm. Rucker Hauer, right i think hmm. 
Tears uh, was it Rucker? Yeah, I think it was Rucker Howard. Maybe it, or if it was not Rucker Howard, someone looks a lot like him in my mind. And Matthew Broderick, definitely mm-hmm. him. Um, and the the premise of that movie was that there's two lovers who ran afoul of some sorcerer, and he put a curse on them. And the curse was that uh, I think it was during the night the uh, the man is a wolf, and during the day the woman is a hawk. And during the transition from night to day, they both change. Oh. And so there's this tantalizing. They both want to see each other as humans. I get it. Because they're not furries, right? And there's this tantalizing moment where they can like reach out as he's, as he's changing from wolf into a human, as she's changing from human into bird. It just seems like, oh, they could almost touch. And then no, no one of them mm. changes into an animal. Psych. Totally in an 80s kind of like mm-hmm. done entirely through crossfades uh, <laughs> type of effect. Uh, I don't know if it was any good as a movie, but I loved it when I was a kid. It does have a really big sword in it that's kind of cool. Um, anyway, with kids, uh, with my kids anyway, occasionally you'll be doing something. It doesn't matter what it is. Like, it could be something. It doesn't matter. Like, anything. Eating dinner out. Uh, going for a walk. Uh, putting bikes away from being outside. Uh, you know, driving home from the beach. Like, any at a random moment, they are suddenly able to relate to you as a human being. And receptive to something that you might have to say. Mm-hmm. And, and you realize, here's an opening here for me to impart some tiny piece of information about the world that I think might actually stick if I do it in just the right way. Like if or, I don't, or spook, like if insert, I don't spook them. I see that. I guess that's true. I think, not, not to stop you there, but like it's also like it's a little bit like, ah, oh, there's this some, somewhere between a, a puzzle and a Lego bridge where it's like there's these little random pieces coming together. And you see there's this area where like, oh, you could forward this, you could make it past this one little gap. All we need is this one little Lego piece to be there. And if you choose to make that jump, you're going to realize something that's going to be really important to you. And you, you're going to get to do it on your own. And it's not going to be because I went, you know, you know, you know, that I wasn't, you know, peanutsing you. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the whole, that's that's the whole that thing. It's, it's like you have, to, you have to approach like really, really carefully. And, caught, and again, Lady Hawk, Matthew Broderick would very carefully approach the, the guy who changed into a wolf because when he's a wolf, he would tear out Matthew Broderick's throat. But he's trying to say like, I know you're human or whatever. And so approach carefully. And like you just want to – like salesmanship you want or whatever. You want to make it think it was their idea. Like you got it. It's just so, so delicate and difficult to, difficult to approach. And it's such a brief moment. Where they're receptive because then they're in that particular mood and you've just exchanged, you know, had a conversation where you can tell that they're relaxed and at ease and not, you know, because just, just like the kids get older, every conversation with a parent or any authority figure, they're like on the defensive or trying to play it cool or whatever. And it's just you get so hard to go back to that time when you could just, you know, talk to them for hours and hours about nothing when they were like little toddlers or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that like. But but the thing is, for the more difficult conversations as they become teenagers, I need to have a longer. It needs to be a longer conversation. Is almost at the point of like, if you will just sit here quietly and let me talk, and like not be on your your phone or your iPad, you can roll your eyes all you want. But let's you know, let me just get this out, right? I feel like that's got to have some effect, despite how much eye rolling will be involved. Uh, if it's just done in a in a respectful, reasonable way that doesn't require them to respond in any way and doesn't doesn't invite any kind of argument. Uh, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. <sighs> I feel like it'll be easier for like uh, dealing with the the physical realities of puberty for girls because I'm not, it's I'm like, not even all that worried about that. Um, uh, no, but I think that's the easier one because that's a reality where it's like, look, 
yeah. you're going to want to talk about this, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, you know, you know, you've got a warning shot where, like, it's pretty well known in circles that you're when this happens, you're about around two years from this to that. So keep an eye out for that. So you can start yeah. having that conversation in case yeah, this no, other we've thing had, comes up. I've had the conversation before, yeah. but it's like it, it, in the moment. It, hey, this is a time. This is a, one of those times, those lady hog times, when your kid will recept will be receptive to <laughs> advice and knowledge you may have on a topic, <laughs> right. because you know, yeah, nobody wants to have that conversation. Lady hog times. That's good. My uh, struggle. This is too heavy for this particular show, but there's um, there are several fronts where uh, I feel like I'm suddenly overdue on a few talks. Oh like, yeah, no, I feel I feel that all the time. It's like, oh my god, I I should have had this talk two years ago. And now it's too late. Now they well, heard it from their yeah, friends. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is too heavy. The two that come to mind is like when I finally digested. So I I originally meant for this to be talking about hey, if you were gonna do some kind of really cool free to be you and me eighteen, like what kind of stuff would you do to make sure that the best stuff you know about looking out for the hazards of being a woman in the patriarchy versus like, like when do you pump them up? Like, when do you say, be careful? Like this is all that stuff of like how to proceed in the world. But like, I still feel like I'm three or four conversations away from that one because there's a couple other ones that have come up lately that are really weighing on my mind, like a lot, a lot, a lot during the day. Uh, when I uh, digested the fullness of what went on with the gymnastics training guy and the exact Mm -hmm. details of what went on with that, like in front of the parents, (sighs) that was really troubling. And I feel like I, like we, I, I mean, (laughs) we haven't had the like, Oh boy, sit down and clear your calendar. Like, let's talk about white vans. We have not, we've had tons of those kind of like oblique conversations about that, but like there's that. There's the whole, like, we got the email last week about, oh, you just might want heads up. You might want to let your kids know that, like, on Friday, we're really stepping up what we're doing with the lockdown drills. And it's going to be a lot more. And so, like, you know what? I, to, to my great dishonor, my mode for the last week and a half has been I'm turning off NPR a lot lately. So, like, we have not had that conversation very seriously either. I'm being very oblique here. But, like, there's just – I feel like – uh, and it's it's not, and I'm not just saying this simply because like, oh, boohoo for me, I've got this stress, but like, I really do feel like there's some super important stuff to not miss at this point. And like, I'm not sure how to do it. I really, I think people who are super confident about how to do it may not have a clue. Uh, I'm a little bit glad that I'm unsure about how to do it. Cause hopefully that means I care, but like, uh, there's just so much stuff that came at us faster than I expected. I expected this stuff with like, you know, what happens when that happens. That's fine. Like, oh, that's, that's <laughs> in the grand scheme of things that works out. Okay. If you're not Carrie, but like with this, it's like, I don't know, man. Yeah. I feel like I would know how to navigate that if the person on the other end was a rational actor, but that's not the case. And so now it's like, like I said, if you can't, if you can't talk about like how to change transparency in a layer in a Photoshop, the perhaps the least fraught topic that could be offered to your child, how are you going to get them? And that's, and part of that is like the the blessing of so much in education is that sometimes someone else will teach not, your not child. Not because about you this. want to pass it off. I told you in text this morning how funny it was that while she was getting ready to leave a field trip, we were had to we arrived at the school a little bit before seven, and on a probably three to five different occasions, my wife and I both said, "Hey, you know, you might want to run into the bathroom just one last time because it's a pretty long trip." And she's like, Pfft. 
And literally her teacher walked by and went, go to the bathroom one last time. Boom. She drops everything and makes a beeline for the bathroom. Yep. It has so to be the right, the, the right person at, at the right time. But mm-hmm. have you talked and about the school stuff? And increasingly that person is never us. Which school no, stuff? No, no. Have you talked about the um, school shooting stuff and what it means? Oh, no. No, a lot of the— I mean, has, lot has, of it, the has it, like, come up as an overt topic of conversation at all? No. So the—we uh, don't watch a lot of news in the house, so my kids are mostly oblivious of current events. Except for to what they a, pick up a, a, from— A fairly others. shocking set, except for what kids at school talk about. Right. Um, and, of course, they do lockdown drills and everything like that. Like, that—my main response to that thing is— I would love to have a conversation about that with my kids. I'm not sure they want to have a conversation with me, but practically speaking, there's it's not a thing that they can do anything about. That's exactly what we said. Like, right. like we could we could choose. I mean, I you know what my kids like. Um, where if we have like you described the whole like put down your iPad and look at me and we're going to have a conversation. We have instantly moved into she is being punished for some reason. Bad on us, but that's yeah. that's what happens. As or soon as we do the like you're paranoid about something she can't do anything about. Well, that's like, I think that's the second if she's part. She's going to catastrophize. She's well, the, got first, the first part of it genes. is whenever mom and dad do anything like like <laughs> the classic like we need to talk, there's mm-hmm. already a tensing up. Yep. So we, I try to avoid those kinds of situations, have it come up when we're having breakfast somewhere or something like that. But, you know, in this instance, yeah, that, that was a conversation um, her mom and I had was that, like, this is something, this is like impeachment. This is one of those things that, like, <laughs> she has so shockingly little control over, and she's already, like, a pretty obedient kid, does what she's told to do in a situation yeah, not, like that. It's not actionable. What what do we have to add? And I, I'm not mm-hmm. just saying this to, like, defend myself, but to, like, I don't know what I have to add to that particular one, yeah, other other than explanations, like you could say, well, like why why is this like this or whatever, but it, but if it turns into a thing like though. here here's a change in behavior we want from you, like there is right. no change in behavior. There's literally nothing you can do. Like just you know you can even even the things they have you do at school, who even knows what that? But with this stuff and the white van stuff, as soon as you start trying to abstract it into oh somebody did a silly thing or some people have mental problems. Or like you get it every oh, single. Oh no, I don't. I, I do it much more bluntly than that. <laughs> how do you how do you circumnavigate the white van scenario? I haven't really had deep conversations about that, but when I do, it's not going to be. I mean, it's not going to be sure coded. Like I, I feel like that's the most straightforward way to communicate with my kids about this. Other people's kids may be different, but I don't think it. I don't think it helps to dance around it. Um, right. I mean, you, your kids probably talked. They talked we've about talked about, it, we've talked your, about it tons, but it's always a joke. I was like, "Hey, uh, no, you know, if, if, talk if, about if a clown, with their if a clown in a van ever asks you to help find a puppy, don't get in." You know that, right? Oh yeah, no, I went to that with with my kids. You know, when they were very young, that's the one I did talk about it. Not in the abstract, but I would not. I would talk about it in right. in terms of actionable stuff. Like that, there are people who are going to try to trick you, and I gave them the whole list of things of like, yes, they totally. I know you think puppies are cute, and they're going to lie to you and tell you they have a puppy, like. So, you know, don't don't let people trick you in that way. Don't do it. Blah, blah, like, you know, stranger danger, we did all that stuff, but never saying, okay, but why? Why are they doing right. this? What why, do they want to get I, out what, of it? What could possibly happen if I help somebody with a puppy? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so right. it's, I, don't, they, I don't think they need that when they're kids. They just need to know that this is bad and that people will try to trick you, which is an important lesson in life. Uh, but eventually. But then you get the gym guy. You get the gymnastics yep, guy. Eventually you have to know Have you heard interviews with those parents? You, you know what he was doing. He mm-hmm. was he was in the room. The parents right there, with I guess like a, a some something like half a sheet between them, and he was doing pretty terrible stuff in front of the parents, which in some way made it even easier for him to cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's no, like it's, it's it's terrible. 
Like and and that, yeah. and and on yeah, I'm we're gonna have to have those talks too, although I feel like I don't know. I that that seems more clear cut to me. The thing the thing that I'm fretting about lately is especially as it comes up with, you know, I feel like I've perhaps made a mistake by by trying to reveal the patriarchy at a young age, right? Because now she rebels against it and she wants to tell me that there is no patriarchy, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, is the the exact amount of internalized sexism that she has absorbed from the culture and her friends, like, despite my best efforts, like, that she she will defend traditional gender oh, she's roles. A, she's and, a counter-revolutionary. Right, you know, exactly. <laughs> like, that she, she, she just internalized, inter, she just internalized limitations that the entirety of the world is screaming at her from every angle, Right. And I don't know what to do to give your kids the tools to defend against that because it is literally everywhere. It's in every YouTube channel. It's on every every billboard. It's on every television show. It's in every movie. Like, it's everywhere. Also, also, kids know everybody's got an agenda, even if it's a good-hearted agenda. They know that everybody's got some kind of, like, I think kids get used to the fact that people are shining them on a lot of the time, that they are telling them some half-truth, partial truth, something to get them to do something else. Um, and I, I think they are naturally suspicious of anybody uh, trying to soft pedal stuff, or even even I'm trying trying to give her the hard sell, like she like internalized sexism, like you wouldn't it sneaks in without without you knowing. But can't you do that with anecdotes? I mean, I feel like I feel like we do that with like I mean something even as obvious as watching one of her favorite movies, Hidden Figures. Um, like watching watching something like that, I feel like gives her the opportunity to see something for herself, even though she thinks the '90s or the '70s. Like, there's still this thing <laughs> where she mixes up her decades worse than I do. But there's there's still this opportunity for her to feel a feeling or or have a thought about a thing that where she can snap those two things together, and then maybe I'm there with that last Lego piece to help ford the gap. Yeah, that's. I mean, uh, they my kids all did units on uh, Martin Luther King's civil rights in elementary school, and I think they did it like in two grades, actually, like separated by a few years to do yeah. it once, service level, and go into it again. And I feel like that is a good time to get to kids on this topic. I really feel like the kids were receptive to it and did uh, understand that. Uh, that when we when we were going to see Black Panther. Uh, uh, my daughter didn't want to go because she was in the middle of doing something else. And I said, no, we already got tickets. We're all going. <laughs> and she's like, why do we have to go see this stupid movie? And I tried uh, in uh, tried to give her the one sentence explanation of, of the, cult, the potential cultural importance of Black Panther. Hoping that in some way she could connect that up to what she knows of the civil rights movement. Because she was into it. She'd get books on right. her own out of the library. She'd read like, about imagine it. Imagine that me there's a it. hidden country in Africa that's actually the most technologically <clears throat> that, that 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 one thing alone is i think about this movie so much every day uh, and that's that's one of the parts of it i love so much like you could say that to a kid like imagine a place where like this place that has to hide itself because it's the most technologically advanced place in the world i went for like most basic level all i went for was a one because again i can't say more than one sentence i just had to say it oh, no i'm not trying to teach you anything we're on our way out the door by the way representation it's like, like, it's I just like went your for, parental I, twitter you have a character limit I, I just went for representation to both kids representation like you know we go to see superhero movies all the time have you noticed the the, the stars and all the movies have been white you probably haven't noticed that but think about it and that's why this movie is important, right? right? That's it. No, no preaching. No, nothing. Just one little thing to think about as we go out the door. I think it mostly worked because she stopped complaining. She had a smart out comeback about how she doesn't care about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get a lot but, of that these days. But, yep. I, you know, that's the level we'll have to operate at. Like a one little drive-by tiny nugget 
Like, seriously, we were talking about with the bathroom thing. What I should be doing instead of talking to them is secretly creating YouTube videos or secretly putting things in, in you know, sending. I can't send them links from me, but I have to get them, I have to herd them towards good YouTube videos. You need a Fox and Friends for kids. Yeah, no, that's that used to, it was PBS for us, right? You know, Mr. Saying, Rogers like the way, the way that uh, the White House people get ideas to Trump by putting it on Fox and Friends. Yeah, you need that for your kids. You need, you need, hey, teens, here's what you need to know about representation. I, 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 yeah, I need to commission a YouTube. There's a lot of good videos about this. Too. It's like, how do hey you guys. get them in front of your kids? <laughs> there, are, there are a lot of good videos about this. Like MTV actually makes a bunch of good ones. I forget what it's called, but there's a couple of, there's a good MTV series of, uh, it has some silly name that's not, uh, let's rap but it's very similar to like real talk or something like that or whatever but it's very it's very well done very rudimentary good for kids and adults to like take you through the basics of some issue in a you know a three minute format and just have to try to herd my kids towards them because they don't want to hear it from me but no, i have to believe that even whether they want to hear it from me or not if i just put it out there right and don't expect any conversation about it and that's it then that is sufficient that and of course your favorite thing like modeling the behavior in real life which is hard for me to do because they don't see me in any kind of interaction where i could model this behavior but i think i got it i've got it i'm gonna talk to you i don't know know if you watch these uh the overly sarcastic productions videos i want to get with red at overly sarcastic productions and i'm going to try they've got a patreon and i'm thinking i may be able to cross her palm to do some very fast-paced videos that are designed bespoke videos. They look like they're public videos, that they are mainly for my daughter. Do you watch these videos? I haven't heard of them. Really? I think you'd really like it. Um, check out Overly Sarcastic Productions. But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, like, of course, it is, it is the height of fun for me when my um, daughter tells me about a life hack that she learned on YouTube. That's a good feeling. That feels real good. Yeah, I hear about those too. Uh, they, they don't want the worst thing is when they the kids uh, yeah, tell yeah, you yeah, about yeah. But tell I mean, you like, about this, a is, meme. this would be like your daughter coming to you and saying, "Do you know you can like escape attributes by using these?" You know. No, I wish I would love it if my kids would come to and tell me about escaping. <laughs> but uh, like they'll they'll, they'll they'll come to me. Daddy, and, do you know and, about cross sites? Yeah, they'll tell me about a meme, and it'll be like that meme existed before you were born. <laughs> I I had fully internalized all your base before you were born. <laughs> <laughs> and you're telling me about it. They do not want to hear about anything that their parents knew about before them. Um, she, she sent me a picture of some uh, like uh, great women in history type thing. This is outside the library like, at school. Yeah, and again, like the, uh, the I think my uh, my daughter's class did a unit on something like this, and she, she knows so much about Grace Hopper, and she knows so much about Katherine Johnson now. And it's great because she loves she loves Hidden Figures is a movie she demands that we watch every couple weeks. So she was really excited to like do the full-on like oh school oh my god school is talking about the woman from hidden figures yeah i think i think my daughter uh didn't like the hidden figures movies or said she didn't but before we ever saw it on her own not because her parents took her to a movie she took it got a bunch of books out about great women in history a lot of whom were like conquerors who'd killed lots of people or whatever so i guess that's you exciting be but, careful in you know. that because there's a lot of like like uh <laughs> books about like the the most murderous women in history and there's a lot of lot of stuff like that that oh, comes out elementary school library is good but like it, it may have had one or two things on like catherine the great i think we watch a whole youtube series and that yep. but it's mostly like scientists and inventors and whatever yeah. and like the the angle i try so hard not to push but i want her to notice is like hey why have you never heard about these things hey why why did she have to also be a homemaker and a mother why couldn't she just be this like you know like just yeah, yeah, hoping but to is... get them to see the matrix and i realize what i'm fighting against is the the slowly you know the, the this you know the status quo is seeping into these kids both of them 
right. without you knowing it. And like when they come back with some sort of red pill comeback and you're like, how did that even get in there? And like it's it's in there already before you even get to know that there's a place to be. Like it's just it's been I there for months know. before you know. But like this is another version of something we talked about recently, the Overton window, which is like trying to find the thing where <sighs> Or the, the window may, may have, the easy window for something may have passed before you ever knew that it was a window. But there are, the, the trick is knowing like when it's the right time. Oh, that sounds so dumb because it sounds like we're trying to like, like trap, a, trap a possum or something. But it's, it's that like knowing that, and I mean really honestly, like this sounds crazy and relativistic, dumb, liberal Twitter kind of thing to say. But like, but also knowing like there's, there's this, uh, this thread that runs through all of this, which is that like how much of this is my particular hang up about my particular things. And like how, I mean, that's really the, like the question inside the question inside the question is like knowing when it's the right time to talk about stuff. Another generation would say you just, you just would say to your, like you would speak in much more frank terms about some of this stuff. Other of this stuff, you would never in a million years mention. You might in fact say, oh, just just so you know, Uncle Steve is kind of weird sometimes, so be careful. And the kid would be like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? But it's finding that it's, it is, there is a window for, a window of opportunity, what did you call it, the Lady Hawk? Lady Hawk time? <laughs> like when you have this this unique opportunity when it comes along, it's great. But then also, like, who knows if that's going to stick? Who knows if there's going to be some kind of a moment to need to reject that? Like, you know, in some ways, your tween daughter is going through something where she's probably, like, part of her, I'm not diagnosing her, I'm just guessing here, but part of it is, like, that's her identity. Like, part of her identity is, like, she rejects the thing that dad says she should do. Yep. And part of her identity is that she already knows everything, which is, you know. Right. Part of, I think part of a lot of teens' identities, but she's not even a teen yet, so I'm, she's 10 years old. She already knows everything, so it's a problem. Um, Your spelling's atrocious. Look at you. <laughs> Look at that spelling. Yeah. I, I can't tell. I mean, I know my son's spelling is terrible, but I think my daughter knows how to right-click on red squiggly words, so it's hard to tell if her spelling is terrible. I think it's got to be better. Than I, we should wrap this. I, I, I have been really encouraging. In the same way that like, I think like you need to know how to do stuff with numbers. She's actually taught me a ton of stuff in uh, arithmetic that I didn't know. Like, not a ton, but like a lot of stuff. Like the tricks that she uses are still somewhat bewildering to me. We will talk about homework at some point. But there's other kinds of things where I'm like, do you think there's any chance in the next three to 20 years that we're going to see less of things like autocorrect? Do you think we're going to see fewer opportunities to use a calculator for arithmetic? Like, I want you to know arithmetic to be able to make, turn fractions into... Uh, decimals, but you know what? We do that twice a week when we're watching Shark Tank, and we do our Shark Tank. No, but I know about it. Well, every pitch begins with somebody coming out and saying, "Hey, sharks, um, you know, I'm I'm, uh, I'm asking for I'm asking for seventeen thousand dollars in exchange for eight percent of my company," and so that's 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 a great opportunity to use a little bit of math because it's not intuitive to a kid, how you figure out that valuation, right? And so we do the mathematics to figure out like, oh, just a little bit of figuring that out. That, those kinds of opportunities come up and it becomes actually really useful because, you know, it's a Shark Tank. It's, it's, it's good TV. But what was I talking about? I don't know, something about the new math. Uh, the new math, Lady Hawk Times. It's, it's an artful thing to know when that window is available and what you're going to choose to, it's almost like trying to figure out like in football, trying to figure out what kind of play we're going to run 
from this particular yard line. And like knowing what is the right kind of thing to introduce at this point that is, you know, sort of a hypocr- um, Hippocratic Oath kind of thing. Like, first, how do we do no harm? First, how do I not give you the absolute wrong message <laughs> about something by trying to be clever, cute, and overgeneral about something? Or not give you hangups about it by being, you know, honest and direct. Well, and like first principles, Clarice, like, let's begin with the fact that the first thing a kid notices is what you're flustered about. Don't you think? Yeah. I, I, mean, I mean, I think that's a huge part of it is like... <laughs> They're like, they're like they don't care. I'm I'm flustered about her being hit by a car and crossing the street. She didn't care that I'm flustered. Yeah, but like you know, um, I I know there are certain things, certain modes that I might be in that are probably concerning to her. Whether that's me being really uh, angry tonight about how a certain thing is going. Hopefully, that's mostly rare. But you know what I mean. Like, there's the obvious things, but there's also the tells. Like maybe there's quiet talk in the other room before something happens. You know what I mean? There's, it's like the same way that a dog knows that when you take out the suitcases, you're probably going on a trip. There's all these kinds of things that like you're communicating without even knowing it. And I just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. There's only so much you control. I mean, I, I, every time I feel the worst about this, I think about how, how unreceptive I was as a kid to anything. Anyone had to tell me about uh, anything. I was, I was, it I just, was, it just feels insufferable. So I was hopeless. utterly like, insufferable. Yeah, because I, I, it's like, I think, is is there any way anyone could have approached me that would have taught me the things that I needed to know? And the answer is no. There's nothing anyone could have told me as a teenager that would have penetrated. Like, literally nothing. There's no approach, no thing that, you know, it's just, I, right. I you know, it was, it was such an impossibility that even entertaining the notion that an adult could tell me something and give me a lesson about life, like... And that's what just, I mean, and I think, oh, well, what did affect? Maybe you could say, okay, you can't tell me but by modeling a certain behavior, some I, I could I could glean something from that in my best moments, right? And that, that's like the only hope. But but my kids aren't me, and so I don't, you know, I'm not willing to give up on it entirely. Like I'm going to give it my best shot, right? Okay. But, uh, um, predestination ish challenge, uh, and I want you to take this on any level you want. If you, I'm not going to say if you could, if you had to go go back and confront yourself, you had to go back and talk to yourself at the point you know. You were the most oppositional. When would you, when would you go back to give yourself what message, knowing everything you know, and it's okay to be clever about it? When would you go back, and what is the message that would end up being useful, even if you didn't know it was useful at the time? Well, at first, assuming I crossed the hurdle of convincing them that I was from the future and had knowledge, like that, that's the first hurdle I'd have to cross, and I you would should, know you how to probably reveal something about masturbation. Like something that would be like, a, oh, okay, yeah, that's no, good. That takes, that takes care of itself. It's fine. Yeah, um, sure does. <laughs> yeah. uh, was, I, I feel like at first I have to cross the hurdle of, of convincing myself that I'm from the future, which I could do because I would know Take exactly it as red. Take it as red. You convinced right. yourself. Yeah. Yep. Um, I would go. But Okay. To, just, I, just to be clear, though, to stipulate, just because you've convinced yourself that that is you from the future, that doesn't mean you might still think you're crazy and it does not give any necessary like credibility any more than you'd have credibility from any other adult. But I think it would because it, like future, if I was able to convince myself that I was in the future, I would oh. say, well, this person has valuable knowledge, right? I, which I could prove and demonstrate, you know, like with whatever, like to say, like the thing, knowing things ahead of time has <laughs> has value. So I would be have the I would have my own rapt attention at that okay. point, right? Oh, uh, wow. I okay. would I would go to myself in sixth grade, which is my last year of elementary school, and I would explain at length how. 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, and 12th grade are going to go for me. 
Which yeah. again, because I have foreknowledge of the future, like right. whatever. I, and so I would just merely start with an explanation of how it goes. The bad news is you're going to do hard time. The good news <laughs> is you will get out. No, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be saying like this light at the end of rainbow. I would say this is how things are going to go, right? And at the end of that, I'd be like, if you don't want things to go that way, here are things that you can do differently. That's what I would do. Because I feel like that's you know it, it wouldn't okay, well, just be some what sort would you of like, say in the movies. Do, what would you say to do differently? Oh, you know, just all the basic stuff about like how most of your problems stem from your own insecurity, and if you're not okay with yourself, yeah, no one else is going to be, be okay super with you. specific like, though for it to work. Yeah, no, but but like, but I would I could get into specifics. I knew I would know all the people that are involved and stuff like that. But like, it, it, I, I feel like again, you'd have a lot of credibility because you would you would you know this is not how I think it might go. This is how it did already happen, and if it doesn't right. sound good to you. Here's, you know, here's what you can do differently, specifically in these specific instances, in these specific situations, right? And I, you know, whether, whether that would help or not, I think it would, I try to give my kids the same knowledge. Not that it's going to go the same for them as it did for me, and I'm very conscious of that, but I, you know, wanna, I, you want to give... I was kind of hoping for something a little more creative. I was kind of hoping you would, like, have lost a limb. You would do a, that's why you always leave a note. Or maybe you would have herpes or something, like you would go back as a cautionary <laughs> that's tale. That's the thing about when, when they do these in movies, they don't have enough time to do what you'd really want to do. So they have yeah. to always have it be sort of like some inspirational line that ends up having great import later because they literally don't have enough screen time. Even in a book, mm-hmm. they usually don't have enough time to do the exhaustive type thing because they want it to be like mm-hmm. something kind of vague and obscure, like like a, like a horoscope, right? That, that could be applicable to many situations, but you realize oh. later how profound it was. But it really, Gallifrey, if you think about they it for have a second, no word. They have no word for, for river, so they had to call her pond. Yeah, like it, it, you want it to be something like that because it, it, it's clever, but but short, right? Uh, or like or like obscure. When you think about it a few seconds, you're like, why didn't you just tell the person like, don't go to work in this day because you'll be hit by a car, right? But instead, you made this weird thing, or you only had a moment, and you could only you know make a noise or whatever because it makes for interesting television. But in, and you're actually in this situation. There's going to have to be hours and hours and hours of discussion. Over a course of many days, and no one wants to see that movie, but that's what I would do. First of all, I totally screwed up the reference. It was the other way around. It was there was no uh, word for um, for yeah. I think I got it backwards. But the other thing is, like, I feel like I have to go in and do some blast. Okay, like if I had to trick myself, uh, my my young me, like there was a point where I was kind of on the edge, and I feel like like I remember, for example, my drama teacher in my senior year. Read something in my yearbook that was like, where she was like, she said, um, Merlin, you are, you are very, you're very smart and you are very clever. Please always try to use your sense of humor for good. Like, don't, <laughs> and I was like, you were a jerk. <laughs> she was. And it was like, she was my favorite teacher and she was the best and she was just so great. And I was like, oh man. <laughs> are we the baddies Hans? Like I saw that and I was just like, Oh God, I might be awful. I feel like, see I, my, my goal for this would be so much more restricted. Like I don't think I could do anything giant to help myself in the long term, but I feel like I could give a good push like six degrees in the right direction. And even if it was something that was a dumb faint, like I think I could go back to 16 year old me and say something like, Hey, listen, it's okay. If you spend more time getting really good at guitar, some, something, but like basically something that I would have been open to hearing 
that would have pushed me in the right direction without being actual advice. Like, dude, don't be <laughs> afraid to learn the actual parts for Rainbow in the Dark. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because, okay, well, you see where I'm going with this. Though. You see what the knock-on effect of that would be. Would be like, stop half-assing this. Get the guitar for the practicing musician and actually learn the really good part. Like, really, like, g- go nose to the grindstone on getting good at this one thing. Like, I think I might have developed a slightly better work ethic if I had found something. And I admit, it was, t- I, it was totally me being a terrible person at that age that I wasn't better at this stuff. But if I would go back, I think it would have been, what I want to say is I would go back and say, hey, you know what, try not to be a dick. But I'm not sure that would have been a receptive, a message I would have received, but more like something that would have nudged me in the direction of like trying super harder at something at a time when I was very reluctant to try hard. But you're trying to do the movie version where you want it to be a capsule thing that you can explain in one See, line. When in reality, I don't think, what you but should I don't have think done it matters. Ex- ex- I don't think it matters if I get good guitar. I think it matters that I learn that I can be good at something if I apply myself in a way that every teacher tried to tell me. You should do the same thing that I just said. You should explain all the things that are going to happen in your life if you continue doing things the way that it occurs you to should, do them. Should I act like I have herpes? No. Like, okay. just explain everything. I mean, you can stop before the happy part if you want. Like, mm. just tell them all the bad things that are going to happen, right? Like, doesn't don't that tell break, them eventually the you end up with, with Does that break the timeline if you do that? That's the whole point is to wreck the timeline, right? You're supposed to you want to you want to get them to avoid the uh, the the bad things, right? And so you have plenty of bad things to explain. You have to explain them at length. You're very against credibility issue. It feels like for me, like it sounds like a lot of this stuff hangs on how credible the the presentation is. But that's why I'm not I'm not changing it to be advice of like here's how you should change your behavior. It's right. doing more like a history you're lesson. Doing, here's you're doing how more th- of a Christmas Carol kind yeah, of thing. Here's how things went down. <laughs> Like at you're doing, length, you're doing a personal Christmas carol. Yeah, but but it, but like but specifics, like and then this is going to happen, then this is going to happen, then that's going to happen, and then your reaction will be this, and that. Like just, I'm not telling you how to act. I'm I don't telling think you how that you would already change. That would not change young you. I don't think well, it would. No, but if you hear that and you're like, well, I don't like that part. When that thing happened, that seemed like a bummer. Uh, because it's got to be based on what they about... know and feel at the time. If you give them a PowerPoint about the future, they're going to be like, "What?" It's got to be more like, "Do you remember that time that you peed yourself when you were th- when you were in third grade?" Like that's how you're going to feel if you don't fix this one thing with this person. You're going to have to like make a very like tight emotional, like almost a yeah, physical. I think I would have a very difficult at the time uh, convincing myself or anybody that like you know this person that you hate you shouldn't hate or this you you treated this person badly but then they just get defensive or whatever i think it all just has to be this is what's going to happen and they should come to you and say well what do i do to, to stop that from happening even even if you don't even t- give them any advice on how to prevent it from happening the fact that they know it's going to happen should should give them you know they should be armed and prepared and say oh this looks like it might lead to this bad thing happening right yeah like or if you just know like you know let me tell you in three years your best friend's gonna kill himself right you can if you give them no advice on how to prevent that you can be sure that they're going to change how they behave towards that friend right (sighs) and i think that's sufficient not to say you should think about being nicer to jimmy why oh i can't tell you wink but you're like you're 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 putting stuff in front of this young person that is not believable easily you're putting so much on the fact that they believe it's really you from the future i'm putting it more into the sense of like if i were just a like a a medium that you ran into uh, on the boardwalk would you believe my prediction 
Like, I'm trying to find something credible. Yeah, well, you already said that I was able to convince them that I was really them from the future. If I can't convince them that I was them from oh, okay. the future, but I, right, can just, right. I can just inhabit the body of some stranger. Well, if I convince like, me from the future, you know. maybe we'll just have some cheap weed. Just enjoy the afternoon. <laughs> don't, don't. We could, you know, we could play Boston covers together. Be I, fun. That's, I mean, that's the harder one to say, like, you get to be in the body of a contemporary. They don't know it's you from the future, and there's no way you can convince <laughs> I'm them. I'm John Adams. <laughs> right. You know, hello, fellow children, whatever. <laughs> like, fellow, yeah, right. <laughs> like but that's that that is much harder because then you'd have to just be like the sidekick in the in the movie where like you try to herd them towards stuff but it's like i don't think there's any one thing that is you know even from peers even from like people you look up to and care about the most who you like the peers that you admire the most there's very little like if i think back there is precious few pieces of information and advice imparted to me by anybody including my peers that had any impact, but there were one or two things that people yes. said to me at certain points. Because of that's, timing, because the stick. timing worked out. Yeah, and because that was like that was the point where I was ready to hear whatever that was, or who knows, like whatever chemical mixture in my brain was at that moment, it right, actually right. sunk in, right? So, and, final, final, final. A you that claims to be from the future appears tomorrow. Offering advice, how will you know that it is you from the future, and what advice would you be seeking from that person? Uh, I would be seeking uh, advice that would make me uh, well. Rich, I would mostly rich. be seeking funny, yeah, financial advice <laughs> because, <laughs> because practically speaking, I probably don't want to know about like health stuff. Like, oh, interesting. Let me tell you, you know, uh, what disease you're going to die from or whatever. Like, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I don't want to know. I don't want to know. I would probably, yeah. you know, like, to go for early cancer screening, blah, blah. I don't know. Well, if he but, could give you a but, heads up about, like, don't get on this one bus that one time, that would be handy. Uh, but that stuff's not actually that actionable because as an adult, I well, realize obviously that, that person's still alive. So on that timeline, that there's only so much they can offer. Yeah, I know. But as soon as they appear, they've destroyed their own timeline. So most of their predictions don't have well, predictive value. That's the depends. only things that have true predictive value uh, are things that are far enough outside of your sphere of influence. So financial stuff, especially mm-hmm. immediately tell me everything you know about the yeah, immediate bring, financial bring the future. Almanac. Yeah, but, yeah, but that, that only like, uh, I, I think the sports almanac would be good for like a week and a half. Hmm. And, and then every every prediction and it would be wrong just because of uh, diversions. Those are the thing time time, time travel movies don't want to talk about that. But the the, yeah. the world of things like it's kind of like the sphere of influence, like the, the sphere of influence of this new this new thing that wasn't present before that is present now. Yes, this, the 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 radius of change rippling outward from that, invalidating all futures, yeah, is travels pretty fast. So I need to know actionable financial advice immediately. And then it can be like wisdom imparted, but wisdom yeah, can sure, be imparted whatever, by blah, old blah, blah. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't need to be from the future. They can just be like, look, I've lived through many years and, and you know, okay, I had but, kids. But what and, if, what you if know. teen you appears right before to say, listen, an old man is about to come and talk to you. Don't listen to anything <laughs> that he says. Uh, teen me is not to be trusted. <laughs> teen, teen anybody no, is not to be trusted. nobody is to be trusted. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Understand a phone indecision. I don't know. Is that Rush? Uh, Peace of Mind by Boston. No, I only know the two Boston songs. So more than a feeling and. Starts in uh, C sharp minor. More than it's a feeling. What's the other QB. Boston song that everybody knows? Um, we'll see. Uh, you get more than a feeling and you've got um, uh, foreplay, uh, long for, time? For, for, foreplay and long time. Yeah. I, I, I don't know foreplay. So I just got the two. I got no, long time. And, and well, what do they call it? Long time. But foreplay, long time. Foreplay. <laughs> foreplay is that uh that, you know <laughs> cut that out